<laughs> maybe we're just maybe we're just like at that age now where these fucking idiots and their their teens really piss us off. Oh, because fucking teenagers are stupid. We're like we're, we're like those two old guys in the Muppets and the balcony. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, we really are. That that is asinine radio. We're the what are their names? I forgot their names. I don't know, but they always say, "Oh, that performance wasn't half bad." Nope, no, nope. it was all it was bad. All bad. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back to Asinine Radio, a weekly podcast where we talk about music and, well, that's pretty much it. So, uh, let's go! This is Asinine Radio. This is the weekly music podcast where every week we get into a different album from a different band and we break it down. We find out all the little secrets and we let everybody in on those secrets and we try to have a good time doing that. Uh, my name is Ty... <clears throat> oh, shit. My name is Tyler we and go. way out there, hundreds of miles away, way out there, Neat things, Jeff. While you're listening, go to Apple Podcasts, go rate, review, and subscribe to us on there. Follow us on social media at Asinine Radio. Uh, we have a Discord server. If you want to join that, hit us up. We'll send you the link uh, and have fun with that. Uh, we also have a phone number. If you want, you can call, leave us a voicemail, shoot us a text. The phone number is 503-893-5307. Uh, I know I talked about it on the, the, the other episode of the pod, you know, about the vinyl and all that stuff, but I'll bring it up again. We did have somebody text us, so might as well bring it up again. Uh, he just he pretty much just said Marilyn Manson Mechanical Animals please do it such a crazy good podcast thanks guys so to whoever that is thank you thank you for listening and we will probably do this Manson record probably I'd say probably within the next month month and a half yeah for sound, sure sound good yeah we got I mean, it. We, we only, it's been a long time only, coming already we're only two weeks out on what we're gonna do so maybe yeah. after we do that second week maybe in three weeks we'll get it going but who knows we'll see how it goes um, so yeah, thank you for that. Thank you for sh- uh, shouting out to us and whatever. So um, now that we're done with the boring intros, what are we doing today, Jeff? We're doing the Jimi Hendrix's uh, first album. Are you experienced? <laughs> so with that, the intro out of the way, uh, let's give our origin story with Jimi Hendrix. And uh, so, what do you got? I really, I really have no like origin story. The the only time I can remember listening to Hendrix, and I think I talked about it with another classic rock band that we did not too long ago. But uh, my mm-hmm. guy, guy went to high school with Mike Stone. I, I, ah yes. I went to his house a jam one time. You know, you know what I think it was? It was his friend of the pod, Taylor. I don't know if I want to say his last name. I know who you're talking about. Yeah, but Taylor's Red dad. Hair. Yeah, yeah. I hung out with him just like religiously when I lived over on uh, RDL, Rio del Oro. And yeah. like his dad was a musician and his dad had like a really nice studio in the house. Oh, shit. And his Taylor knew Mike somehow. And I think that's how we rode our bikes over there, which is kind of a far ride. But we rode our bikes to Mike Stone's house. Not a far ride, just uphill, 
in those fucking hills. Yeah, had that fucking hill right there. I know, <laughs> yeah, I, I know exactly where Mike Stone lived. I know, I know exactly what house he lived in. Yeah. yeah. So I, I think that's how I got over to them to his house. But uh, but yeah. Anyway, it was it was just like we listened to what were we doing? Wait, right, talking wait, about wait, Mike wait, Stone wait. last. Wait, I will say. We're fine saying Mike Stone's name, but we will not say Taylor's last name. Because Mike Stone sounds like a fake name. That's why. <laughs> like Matt Stone, Trey Parker. Like these are fake names we're throwing out here. <laughs> All right, continue. Sorry, 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 sorry. But it was just, I was, I don't know. That that was my first introduction to like somebody actually listening to Jimi Hendrix. And I was in like high school and I was like, okay, well, this is not that great. Mm-hmm. And, but that was because it was, it was like, are you experienced? And it w- honestly, it wasn't until we started collecting the vinyls and I got Isle of White where I really sat down and wanted to get into Jimi Hendrix and see what the fuss was about. Because I've been a long time hater of Jimi Hendrix. I mean, this long time, like long, long time. <laughs> I right? know. You you can't stand him. I still think he's vastly overrated in the studio. Yes. Yes. But he's still really good. You know, it's 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 no like knock against. He's not bad. He's just like to think he's like the greatest thing since sliced bread in the studio. Is silly boy talk. It's what he did, <laughs> sound wise and then jamming wise, is what makes him like one of the greats. But I really, I really don't have like any history with Jimi Hendrix whatsoever. Other aside from just going to Mike Stone's house and then now. Okay. So all right. That's it. Uh, my my origin story is. Is that I I don't remember the first time ever hearing him. I know that my mom used to listen to a lot of classic rock, um, just the radio, just classic rock radio, growing up, and uh, and yeah, of, of course they would play Jimi Hendrix, Purple Haze, uh, uh, Stone Free, uh, Foxy Lady, you know the big the big songs. Uh, but I don't remember the first time I ever heard it. I know I remember the first time like I really started to pay attention to it to him was when my cousin gave me my first guitar because he had because he just bought a a brand new electric he just bought a brand new stratocaster beautiful stratocaster so he gave me his old acoustic guitar and i remember he was trying to learn voodoo child and that was the first time i i had ever really started to pay attention and kind of understood like okay this guy Jimi hendrix is the greatest like considered the greatest that's when i started that's when that seed was planted in my mind uh, but then, you know, I, I, going through middle school, high school, like I have always really liked him. I, I, but I never like went out of my way to listen to him. Like I would only listen to him like just in the back, like it was more like background music. Like when you're just kind of doing something else, you just kind of want to have something to just kind of relax to and just kind of just turn off your brain for a little while. Like it was Jimi Hendrix was one of those bands and up for a long time, like even into my adulthood, it was kind of like that too. I've never had anything bad to say about him it's just not there's nothing that's really ever stood out for me so yeah i i I agree with you also that as a songwriter i think he's very overrated but as a guitar player he's fucking amazing and his his studio his studio records don't do him justice at all and it's really sad because people only think about that shit and i really think are you experienced is a wildly overrated record yeah because there's too there's too much I mean, yeah, they recorded it in such a short amount of time, but it still seemed very fussed over. Like, there's a lot of effects, a lot of studio tricks that they're doing 
that just kind of to me it takes me out of the music and it's like then you're just like focusing on like the the stereo and the the panning of everything going back and oh, forth god and then you so read about how like annoying they, sometimes they, they recorded you know the the rhythm section they recorded in mono but then they recorded jimmy and stereo and then they put that together i mean I, I understand there was a lot of work that was involved in doing it but the to me the the end product was a little bit distracting because of all the studio stuff, the studio tricks and, and, and effects. But I don't know. That's my origin story. And that, I guess that, that is also my, my, initial, my initial thoughts on this record. So what are your initial thoughts on this one? So I listened to three different versions. I listened to the Spotify version. I have my vinyl version for my personal collection, which I think is like a, a 2010 to 2012 pressing. And then I have a, a, an early 70s pressing of it. It's beat, but a couple of the songs, specifically the songs that the panning is fucking annoying on, but it's not as bad. Spotify is the fucking worst way to listen to this album because it's so, man, it makes Hendrix seem like he's up his own ass. Like it, it's yeah. so irritating the way Spotify presents this album. And I, I don't think that's what Hendrix would have wanted. It doesn't seem like... Like Hendrix would have won all these little tricks. I think Hendrix just likes to have at this time. I mean, Electric Ladyland is a different a different part of his life, or he did want to to get in and perfect everything. But Elect or uh, Are You Experienced was more of a uh, of a humble approach at like garage rock of this era. It's very it's very DIY in its kind of approach, but in the studio, I think they just overdid it. Because I think Hendrix never, ever, even in his live performances, tried to be better than what he started out to be. He never tried to be bigger. Like Van Halen, like like, like Eddie Van Halen always tried to be bigger than he was the previous year. Jimmy Page <laughs> always tried to be bigger than he was the previous year. Hendrix just wanted to just jam. He just wanted to like have a good time. and And he was just, like I said, a very emotional guy and very misunderstood throughout his peers of the 60s and, and in that era but man spotify really did not do this album justice and it was hard i, I, I only listened to the spotify version once because it was tough to get through because so, of that stereo mix so i i mean i have this on i have a, I have a recent pressing of this uh and and i listened to that and it was fine but it's when i when i listened to it with earbuds in like i went out i went out on a run and i put this on and it was it was just so it was too much with with headphones or earbuds in it's it's way too fucking much but maybe i just didn't notice it on the vinyl because it didn't bother me as much on my vinyl but also you know i'm standing away from the speakers i'm kind of it's just different it's a different experience i thought so too and then so like the the one that i have is is from friend of the pod he got me a discount on it and oh you got it from north <laughs> yeah it was like 16 dollars yeah, so yeah, yeah. cheap. Got like forty percent off, but uh, it, it's not. It's definitely there. Like, like the panning is there, but it's. I, I don't think it's as aggressive as the Spotify version. And like the early pressing I have, even with all the distortion and all the surface noise, and I really I try to listen to it. I even move my little, like, you know, my chair. I move my chair so it's facing the window instead of the projector, and I listen to. It to say, I wonder if it pans as much as it does on the later versions, and it yeah. does. But not nearly as bad. So that's that's like a reissue, a repress thing. It's still there, like I said, but it's not as bad. And Spotify you, is for sure the worst culprit of it. Did you listen to the Spotify version only on on headphones, or did you listen to it on your computer, or how did you listen to it? 
No, just headphones. So maybe that's why. I, that, I really think that's that why. Because, because you're more true. forced to actually listen to the music when you have earbuds in or headphones. God, it was honestly it was it was tough to get it was tough to get through because of that. I I, I was I just thought that that everything Hendrix was about, like the sloppiness. I think I, everything that made Hendrix everything that makes Hendrix so great, like his the guitar, the amp, the effects, the play style, the sloppiness, it's all lost with that type of production. This is like Pet yeah. Sound, Sgt. Pepper's production with somebody who plays as if they were against that type of production. And yeah. that really irritated me. It took me and out what, of the moment. What I think is so, I mean, so I'm basing this off of off of the Spotify one as well because I listen to that one most. Uh, and what I've noticed is that they they talked about on this record, like he played so loud and they got all these noise complaints and you know just some people thought it was just gonna sound like shit because it was so fucking loud. Um, no. But on the actual final mix the rhythm section is way fucking louder than his guitar. Like his guitar yeah. gets drowned out a lot. So I don't know. I mean, you read one thing about that, but then when you actually hear the final product, like what happened? Yeah. I don't were they the fuck lying about, were, about there? Were they lying about that? Or did they just drastically like reduce his sound? Because damn dude, that rhythm section on the first two records is so loud. And that's, that's what I was saying on the, the rankings episode the reason why I like Electric Ladyland more is because it is more balanced as a mix. Like you can hear more of Hendrix playing and it sounds more, it just sounds normal. Like it sounds like a fucking band playing, not a weird studio thing. And I don't know, not as bootleg, but, um, Oh, and I, I also wanted to say what we're doing on the podcast today. We're, we're doing the U S version of this. So we're doing the first 11 songs on the U.S. version, so we're not going to be talking about uh, "Red House," which I think is an amazing song, and some of the other songs too. We're doing only the U.S., so deal with it, because there's yeah, already a lot to talk off. about. So way too much to talk about. Yeah, so we're not going to do the full the full thing, but we're aware, obviously, of the different versions and the extra songs. But and we're we not get doing it. Those. I know. So I know. screw all you purists out there. We're better than you. Um, <laughs> that's a fucked up thing to say. Uh, but it's Fuck true. Him, who cares? Yeah. Uh, Straight so, up. Um, so we have our initial thoughts on this record. Yeah. And we did play Purple Haze. Uh, so before we jump into that, do we have any stinkers on this record? We, I, I don't. I honestly don't have any stinkers, even though I, I pretend to, to, to hate Purple Haze. Purple Haze <laughs> is fine, but I yeah, mean, yeah. it's not a banger. But it's not a stinker. It's okay. I, I, I understand. It's, it's iconic, but. I honestly don't. I, I don't like that song very much. Okay, that's fine. So I, I don't have any stinkers either, but there is, w- there is one only one song that is not a banger for me. Which one's that and one? And Are You Experienced, the last song. Oh, wow, Gina. Yeah, okay. I just, the song's fine, but I could do without it. Throw, Red, throw Red House in there instead of that song, I'm good to go. I wrote... Uh, so. <laughs> as, as for Are You Experienced, I wrote, it's an okay song, but I do love the idea of it. I dig that. It's, I guess. Why well, with like the 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 marching drum kind of thing? And yeah, the, the drum parts played in reverse, like the Middle Eastern style, like twangy guitar yeah. as as he's like kind of honing it in his Dickdale stuff there. Really, no <laughs> bass guitar and just like a wank fest for Hendrix to kind of make some noise. That's cool. Yeah, it's, it's fine. fine. Yeah, 
It's not to me. There's not a lot there. All I really care about are two things. One is what is Foxy Lady in your bangers, and two, what is uh, actually switch those. Number one is what is Purple Haze in your bangers, and what is Foxy Lady in your bangers. Okay, Foxy Lady for me is my ten B. Okay, that's thank God. It's like one of the. It is. I mean, it is the cheesiest song. Absolutely, the cheesiest song. That is probably, not a banger for me. Uh, it's probably the cheesiest song he's ever written or he ever wrote was Foxy Lady. And I think he wrote it to be that, but it caught on. Like I think yeah. he, I legit think he wrote this. It's a pop song, and it seems like he, like Hendrix, wrote this to be like a joke and not meant to be taken like seriously or something like great, but just filler to have fun and goof off with because of the way he goofs off with the Foxy. Like I just think he's having fun with it, but it took off and and became like a a, a thing, and he kind of went. He was like, "Fuck it, I'll go with it, I guess." But I think he I also, wrote it to be a joke, and it makes sense too because if you look at, look at the lyrics, I feel like the lyrics on this one are the most uh, boring surface, like boring and yeah. most surface level. Because it, it, I mean, it talks about a specific person uh, named Heather Taylor who eventually married uh, Roger Daltrey from The Who. And but she was like also like a big socialite in in London, so she was very well known. So it was about her, which just sounds so just, just, just boring and just very tabloid esque. And yeah, yeah. So that that I I think boring. This song was made to be stupid. I agree with you on that. I I just I hate that it took off. Yeah, because like, I mean, there are way better fucking songs on this record than Foxy Lady. Honestly, like if you took off Purple Haze and Foxy Lady on this record, and like you said, put in uh, a couple other tracks, this this I would yeah. give this a higher ranking, a higher rating than I'm going to give it later on. <laughs> I really <laughs> With would. Their world famous three point rating system. Yeah, I think Foxy <sighs> Lady is is borderline a stinker. It's just it, it's it's a joke. It's a joke because Hendrix is better than this. It's like I'm not even mad. I'm like disappointed. Like, well, like what is this? <laughs> this is stupid. And then what is Purple Haze as, as far as bangers for you? This is your one B uh, That's my 5B. It's my 5B. Yeah. Oh, my 5B. God. Yeah, it's stupid and cheesy, especially those first two notes. Um, <laughs> so I, I get it. Dude, the super iconic intro. I really do love the tone of his guitar. I love it. It's yeah. like it's the right amount of dirty everywhere. Like the transitions from the excuse me while I kiss this guy and then the boom, quick drum roll fills i love those and i get why this song is super popular but i just don't fucking like it don't like it (laughs) i do not like this song i i i put it here because i still think it's a great song but yeah it's definitely overplayed that riff is overplayed uh but it is iconic i mean it, it is iconic and man you hear a lot of that stereo effect on this song and that the panning back and forth and Oh man, but the rhythm section, of course, on point. Perfect. Truly underrated. The most underrated part of this fucking band is the rhythm section, especially Mitch Mitchell, the guy with the most boring name in the world. Uh, <laughs> he got, two first, names. <laughs> he got <laughs> two first names. Jesus Christ. What a knucklehead. Yeah, a, a, fucking a, killer drummer. A reject from another band, which is how he became or how he came across like Hendrix and this band was because he was he got denied or kicked out of a different band and ended yeah. up becoming the drummer for this band. But yeah, well, dude. even like even Hendrix was rejected too. Like nobody wanted to pick up Hendrix. The Rolling the manager of the Rolling Stones, he was his attention was brought to Hendrix and he's like, "No, you're not. There's nothing here for us to sell, so we're going to turn you down." Like Everybody in this band was turned down 
prior to joining this band? I mean, the, I, there's a lot of like I, I don't even know where to like like reel it in here, but like there's so much there's so much history to Hendrix in his 27 young years. Like there's so much he went yeah. through just to be. And just like, like he went through so many hardships just just to die young, like it's know, such right? a fucked up. He lived such a fucked up life just to not even experience the greatest part of his like accomplishments. Yeah. That's and I, I think I, I remember I didn't read it this week, but I, I read it a long time ago where he had he had more number one hits after he died than he did while he was alive. Yeah, like he had better chart success after he died, like way not even just like the year after, but like. Decades after, decades, yeah, it's, it's that's insane. Sad. Yeah, it's very, very sad. He, like, he did deserve more, but but like Purple Haze, Purple Haze, it's not, it's not melodic, it's not exciting other than like its significance and sound. And like in mm-hmm. the stereo mix, again, Hendrix vocals is like exclusive to one channel. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that, that, oh, I, I get like it. That's allowing like the music more room to explore itself in the other channel, while kind of like relegating the vocals to like a. a a rhythm part of the music but that's just that's dumb that, that's, that's distracting that's, it's too many tricks that i don't think hendrix wanted to do i think hendrix was a purist in his tricks and part of his iconic sound was was just using like essentially he used four pedals right the mm-hmm. octave pedal the fuzz pedal the univibe and then the wah-wah like those yeah. are the four pedals that like define hendrix's sound and yeah that seems like a lot of pedals but it's really I mean, it's compared really to not omar fucking or the dudes from corn who have like 30 pedals on their board but like that, that's that's why i don't like purple haze and the mix of it because it's 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 including tricks that hendrix i don't think was fully on board with and, and I, 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 I don't like it i was gonna say i agree with you on that because reading more about how these records were made Chaz chandler his manager and the producer it seemed like he controlled everything I mean, like he he controlled like what studios they went to. He I mean, he fucking. I mean, if it wasn't for him, yeah, Hendrix wouldn't exactly would have blown so up as much as he there, did. There but, is there is a give and take there, and it's tough yeah. to kind of get around that. But damn, he had so. I mean, it seems like he had so he much over. creative control. Yeah, yeah. that's why that's like why Isle of White is so fucking different than this album. They're they're two completely different bands. They're two completely different yeah. persons. Yeah, I know. I I agree with you. I think Isle of White is the best thing I've heard of his. Because it is, it sounds like a band, and and reading more about the making of this record too, they they get, uh, ch- um, dude, I can't even think of his name right Chaz, now. Chaz, Chaz, uh, Chaz Chandler. Oh my God, no, Chad. Wait, oh my what God, what's his fucking name? Chaz Chandler. Chaz, is it Chandler? Whatever. Anyway, Chandler Bing. <laughs> he uh, it was to the point where he didn't want uh. Noel or or Mitch to have anything to do with the music. He wanted everything to be Jimmy. So he he excluded them from any writing sessions and he said, "Here's just play this basic track and then we'll record Jimmy over it." So they had never heard the music prior to uh prior to them recording the actual tracks. And Gross. I think that's fucked up. Yeah. And that's why Noel left the band. That's why he was so pissed because he got no say on anything and it's just like Dude, Mitch and Noel, to me, they're they're the highlights of this record, for sure. Like Hendrix, Hendrix is great, obviously, but man, he is not my favorite part of this record at all. So, I I, I agree. I mean, for sure, like like Mitch Mitchell is he surprised me the most out of anything here. He is uh, 
he's like a jazzy John Bonham. Like just that's 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 just kind of like what I got. Like he he has yeah. this animalistic, aggressive approach that Bonham had, but with like a jazz tinge to it. And yeah. he is so fucking good. He was so amazing on this. And there are times where he is so busy that normally I would reserve like my negative comments for like a prog band. Like Neil Peart is being like really busy sometimes. Like, dude, just, just chill. But <laughs> Mitchell is so busy sometimes, but I'm never irritated ever. Because he has that, I think what it is, is he has that jazz swing to where you always kind of, you're always interested. It's not just technical to, to be technical. Like there's, there's a reason for him to have that swing on top of the power, like you said, of Bonham. He has the power of Bonham, but the swing of, I'd say, like, Ginger Baker, almost. Yeah. And that I think maybe that would probably be the best the best people to describe him as, a mix between Ginger and and John Bonham. Yeah, but, no, I, absolutely. I, he, he, was, he was unreal. He was unreal. And, and Noel, Noel was great. Noel was fantastic. But I still think Noel was, is kind of, like, restricted to be in the confines of let me see what Jimmy's doing first, and then I'll do what I'm going to do. Whereas, yeah. whereas Mitchell has complete freedom to do whatever the fuck he wants. But then the way that, that Noel and Jimmy intertwine musically, in some parts, it's so fucking amazing. Like, but, they, I, but I never think it's Jimmy keeping up with... It's I, never, think, I, didn't, it's, I think it's Jimmy keeping up all the time because Noel and Mitch are so locked in, and it, and it could... Probably is just because they recorded their stuff separate outside of Jimmy. But they're so locked in. It feels like there are times where I feel Jimmy is like slowing down or or going too fast. Like he, he, he there are times when he, he can't keep up. It's like, like, like it's never Jimmy writing songs around Noel and saying, like, oh, that's a good bass line. Let me see if I can like come up with something for that. It's always like, okay, Jimmy, just do your thing and I'll write something really great around it. Like it's, 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 I mean, Jimmy's like the, the, the heart of the band, like the, the, the leader. Well, yeah, the, fine. Absolutely. So it's, but like you, th- that's why you can tell that some of the baselines Noel comes up with are complementary to Jimmy. Whereas, you know, like Noel has the capabilities to go off and hang out with Mitch if he wants to, and just do some really nasty jazzy, even some like <laughs> jazz fusion stuff mixed with psychedelic rock of the late sixties. Yeah. Yeah. And we can hear it like a little bit in some of like the live stuff, but but really, I mean, I don't know. Holding into this album in particular, it was um, like we're we're corralling this rhythm section into being worse than they actually are. And even though we they sound like really good, I know they're better. We've heard them be better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it just sucks that they were they were confined to be to be worse. I know it's a real shame. It's a real fucking shame. So honestly, that, honestly, like, like I, I don't toss his word out very often because it's really fucked up. But this mm-hmm. is like a, I honestly feel like this is a, like a molestation, a rape of like Jimi Hendrix's sound of this. This is what this album is. It fucking irritates me. It really does. I'm like upset it, it, it about is, it. It is frustrating. I'm Fr- very frustrating. irritated with it. it. It actually is because Hendrix's sound, and I've I've come to real. I even like wrote notes. I I dissected my notes as regard in, in regards to four different aspects of why Jimi Hendrix is so great. The guitar. Like the way he played it, his guitar, the amp, the effects, and his play style. All yeah. four of those things are relegated to to parlor tricks on on, on Are You Experienced? Record. And it pisses I, me I off. I think even I even think on Axis too. There's still a lot of that shit going on on Axis. At least on Axis, 
there's a lot more there's a lot more quieter clean instrumentals where he's not hiding behind parlor tricks like he is on this one and i think i think axis has a lot more endearing lyrics i think he's a lot more vulnerable in axis yeah could be i i don't know after this week i i viewed axis as like the the b-sides to experience which i mean which is which is fair but i mean weezer has b-sides that are better than than a lot of the albums so true but not everybody can be as good as weezer this album really pisses that. me off. Now I'm like even more irritated this album than I was beforehand. <laughs> now that now that I've kind of validated your 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 criticisms, yeah. Now I'm just super fucking annoyed. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, lyrically, what do you have on on Purple Haze? I don't give a shit, dude. I'm not going to sit here and pretend like this isn't about drugs. Fuck off! Oh, it is. It totally is. Fuck off! I read it's all these tripping. little. I read all these little fucking things. We're like, oh, well, it could actually be no. Fuck wipe. This is no. Get out of here. Kit. Excuse me. I kiss the sky. Like he's like, his head is tilted back as he's high on drugs, looking at the sky, kissing the sky. No, I'm not going to sit here and pretend <laughs> this isn't about drugs. I'm not going to do well, it. Even even Hendrix said that that the song was based on a dream where he was walking under the sea. No, oh, yeah, hungry. Okay. While well, he's fucking high on drugs, probably. Dude, it was, but it. I agree with you. It was very annoying. Annoying reading some comments or a lot of the comments where people were trying to dissect his lyrics. Like, dude, you're <laughs> you're thinking way too hard about this because <laughs> it seems like people. It seems on, like people want to like raise Hendrix up on a higher platform than he already is. And it's like you don't have to do that. His lyrics aren't that deep. Yeah, he was talking about you know a lot of depression and and things like that, which is you know it's it's great, especially at this time when a lot of that shit wasn't talked about, but. When it comes to very surface level stuff like this, like come on, man, no, it's just silly boy talk. And yeah. you know what? Okay, okay, here we go. Here we go. Here we go. <laughs> here we now, go. now he's getting mad. So, <laughs> so I mean, it, it doesn't have anything to do with with this record. But what I thought was really weird about his death. So going to his death in 1970, Ooh. he, you know, first of all, there's a lot of fucking shit written about his death like every 10 oh, yeah. minutes of that of his last day but then the part where he it was like what was it like fucking 1 a.m he goes and takes a bath and writes his final poem yeah and then and then they then people are yep. talking about like the last four lines of the poem it's just like is that real no it's too, of course it's, not. it's too on the nose it's too no, on the it's nose. stupid no of course it's not really it, it's, it's, it's pretty much paperwork. like saying goodbye to the world and it's yeah. just like come on dude like this isn't a fucking hallmark movie this is no i i didn't buy i don't buy that i don't buy that at all not I think at all. that is just straight up hype because that, nope. that's way too on the nose but Silly boy that talk. really irritates me I, I feel like there's a lot of shit about hendrix that is totally overblown because of crazy fucking fans and I think, to me, I feel like that kind of ruins his legacy. And I don't like it. It's annoying I, as fuck. I think, like, like, like fucking sucking off Are You Experienced ruins his legacy. Whereas Isle of Wight is, is overshadowed by, by the Woodstock performance. And the Woodstock performance is iconic. It's, it's amazing. It's, it's but it's only iconic one of the greatest. But it's only iconic because of the actual festival itself and exactly. not the actual performance. No. Outside of the Star Spangled Banner... It's not that iconic. Oh, and another thing that I found out this week that irritated the fuck out of me, like really irritated me. Oh, man, this really bothered me. <laughs> so, you know, okay, so people always talk about, you know, I mean, obviously he he does the whole thing where he plays with his teeth and everything like that. Yeah, that wasn't his thing. That's not even his fucking thing. No, 
And he even said, he even said like in interviews, like, yeah, I didn't come up with that. That that was like a common thing to do in like, what is it? Like Georgia or something like that. It was like the South, like Tennessee or some shit like the South. (laughs) Like a lot of fucking people do it. And he just like picked up on it because he thought it was a cool trick on stage. It's not original at all. He did it because I think oh. he said that if you didn't do it, you were considered like a hack, like you're you're a fucking yeah, joke. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, but then I mean, I didn't know until this week that I thought it, he did that. That that he created that. I couldn't believe it. No, I I've, oh I've, my god, I, I've come to realize uh, over the years that Hendrix is is a sound, and then and nothing then the fire, more. The fire on his guitar. Yeah, stupid too. <laughs> That's just as hacky too. <laughs> it's stupid. It's like it was stupid. so. It was completely pre-planned, and like it wasn't even that. Oh, dude. Yeah, dude. The, uh, the and that, legend that, behind Hendrix is so annoying. That that performance, like that, that that was at the Monterey Pop Festival. That performance. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's not an iconic Hendrix, Hendrix performance outside of the fire, but like lighting a guitar and fire. I don't know. That that's something like see like that's something that most people think happened at Woodstock. If you said like, oh, remember when Hendrix lit his fire, his guitar on fire at Woodstock? I'm like, oh yeah, I've seen pictures of that. Like nobody would ever like nobody fucking knows because yeah, exactly. like, who gives a shit? What what is the Monterey Pop Festival outside of, of of I don't know Hendrix lighting his guitar on fire? I don't know. Who cares? And then and then another weird thing is the famous picture from that from the Monterey Pop Festival. It was like some young like seventeen year old kid. It was like the last picture on his camera roll. Like he had one one thing left to film. Yeah, of course. Okay. Take one more picture, and he there takes a picture of that. It's like there were no other photographers at this fucking concert at the Monterey no. Pop Festival. An already after, a huge after Hendrix festival. had yeah after Hendrix had already like, exploded. Oh my god, dude! It's okay. so oh, I was so annoyed reading about that too. Like the, like the, seriously, like one of the most iconic pictures of all time. Just mirac- just happened to be the last thing on that camera roll. Fuck that. That is so obnoxious. It is. It's annoying. Dude, it, it's it, so it, annoying. It tarnishes the legacy of, of what should be Hendrix. I'm not here to say like Hendrix is a shit guitarist or, or he's he's not, yeah, not worthy of being a top five. Because I, I I honestly think that he's a top five guitarist. I just I I I think I think he's a he's a, a number one guitarist for the wrong reasons. Yeah. It's way it's it's like this is like the equivalent of the Sex Pistols, except Jimi Hendrix has way more talent. Is it actually very talented? But it's it's all marketing. It's all the shit that was done mostly after he died. I mean, all the pictures and like how everybody associates his career and his life to drugs, which, yeah, he did a lot of drugs, but oh, that wasn't the drugs. focus of his life or career. Like, I, that's another thing that really annoys me too is, is, his, is his connection to the drug culture when... I don't know, man. That would just—that's not the point. It's really not the point of his music. It's kind of funny too, like the drug culture itself. Like Hendrix's biggest drug was alcohol. Yeah, it was. Oh, yeah, it was alcohol. But like we, and he we was associate like a Hendrix too. Yeah, he was not a fun person to be around. And it was like right after he got out of the army, like he became addicted to alcohol at that point. Yeah. But but like we associate Hendrix with like like pot, and kind of like a a, a lazier drug, right? Yeah, or whereas, even or even LSD. Whereas, like his, he had a he had a severe issue with with addiction to alcohol. Like his his mom, I think did she die of cirrhosis she was, or she got yeah, really she, fucked up by cirrhosis. She she died at thirty three of cirrhosis. Yeah, yeah. Like his parents fought constantly because they were they were drunks. I mean, they yeah, were the there were societal alcohol. pressures contributing to their reason why they drank so much. But they were yeah. Like he grew up in a household of, of alcoholics. And, he, and then I and didn't even know until this week. 
I didn't even know this till this week, but he had a lot of brothers and sisters. I was just going to bring that up, and three of them, they gave up his three younger siblings. They just kept giving, giving them up. Yeah. They kept popping them out and then giving them up. It's like, fuck, man. Fuck? I mean, that's a really fucked up childhood. I know. Like, no wonder this guy like, grew up to just be like super emotional and, and, and unhinged and, and yeah. dependent on like drugs. God damn. Drugs and women. Fuck. I mean, really. I mean, th- there's one song on here where it talks about his confusion of, like, does he love this per- this groupie or is it just another girl? Yeah. Like, it's the, it's about the conflict that he, he kind of went through during his short life. I don't know. It's crazy, man. All right. So, so let's move on from Purple Haze. Let, let's, get, let's, get into, let's get into your 1B. What do you got? Uh, 1B, The Wind Cries Mary. Really? The Wind Cries Mary. Why is that? That is my nine B. That's uh, that's wrong. <laughs> so I, I I love his slower stuff, and and I talked about it with Axis. I, I mm. like his slower stuff. I like his kind of calmer stuff. I think this stuff jams. His mix of blues and soul, and then even like throwing some jazz elements, it comes out nicely. And mm-hmm. it does. He does it best when he's throwing down like the cleaner songs, like the cleaner tones, the cleaner songs. He can literally just do this type of stuff solo with no rhythm section, and it would be just as effective. But like his solo here is great. It's still sloppy, in that it's like the Hendrix slop, but it doesn't feel. Mm-hmm. It doesn't feel like the need to be perfect. Each note doesn't need to be perfect, but rather the sloppiness is the sound. Like that is that that is the sound that he's 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 trying to go for. He's trying to be sloppy, in an endearing way, and the wind cries Mary is kind of that way because the song itself is also just. I mean, it's 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 a cool fucking song. It it, it was written about like an argument, I guess, with a girlfriend, and and I see it as as a as a big picture type song. After the argument, mm-hmm. he's kind of like discusses how insignificant he feels, how small the argument or, or fight was in the grand scheme of things. And the song is just a bunch of verses and solos. It's verses, solos, and leads, really. It's very yeah. bluesy in his approach. And everything is very dumbed down. And I love how, like, the last part of the verses are all, like, a little bit different. He talks about, like, the wind whispers, the wind it, it cries, the wind screams. And then he says the wind cries. And the difference between it and the second and fourth verses is it's like a subtle thing. The wind it cries and then the wind cries. I don't know what it means, but I thought it was very... <laughs> Very, I don't know. Very, very peculiar. Yeah, I agree with you on that. And I don't, I, I don't think that. he was a great lyricist, but I think he was, I think he was a really good lyricist. He was, he was good at conveying his emotion, not only through the guitar, but yeah, through some of his lyrics for sure. I just never realized how emo he was until this week. Honestly, <laughs> I never really realized it either. I did not. <laughs> I did not. Oh man! But like, like you said, like it makes sense with his his upbringing and all that kind of stuff. Um. And what what I noticed too, I never realized this week was that there aren't a lot of choruses. They're no. pretty much just like a verse, maybe two verses, throw in a solo, throw in another verse, another couple solos, maybe an outro, maybe another verse. I don't know. It, the, the structures of these songs are fucking weird. They're pretty unconventional for somebody who's so highly regarded for a songwriting. He's a he's a blues guy at heart that struggled to make it in the rhythm and blues world and then eventually settled on rock and roll. Yeah. Yeah. That's how a song sounds. That's a good one. And I, I I agree with you too, that, you know, his, his 
playing is a little bit sloppier on this one. But having having Noel and Mitch there, dude, they fucking held this song together. If it was not for them, this song would have fallen apart. I think it would have. Because this playing is, is kind of rough in parts. Barely keeping up. I, I don't know. It's, he, good. it's a great song. Honestly, like, like the best parts of Jimi Hendrix remind me of like the best parts of Bradley Noel, like when he was really fucked up and you can hear him just kind of oh, like, yeah. and it was really sad, but like you can really hear him like like on that Bradley Noel and Friends acoustic version that like you can really hear him kind of get into these songs and he's just kind of like playing the feeling of the song rather than the song itself and he's fucking the lyrics, but you know, he, he knows how do you... He, he knows how he felt when he wrote the song and he's yeah. conveying that feeling properly. And I think that's the biggest push and pull with his album is, is Jimi Hendrix's feeling with the production. And mm-hmm. I, I, I like it's like production is key. Like you can't have the production fighting with a theme of the album. And that's what's happening on this one. that pisses me off. <laughs> Irritates me. It's true. All right, I'm going to play a little bit of uh, the, wind, the Wind Cries Mary. We'll get more into the lyrics a little bit and some other things. So here it is uh, from the Jimi Hendrixes. There you go. The Wind Cries Mary from Jimi Hendrix or the Jimi Hendrix experience. Experience, Dude, why do I want to say experiment every fucking time? I, I think you've said it so much now that it's never going to go away. I don't think so either. And I don't think now that I'm really thinking about it, I don't think I've ever said it out loud ever but it's the it's the two x's so close to each other and then the c hendrix experience hendrix uh, i think it's the ends at the in experience that really fucks me up yeah ah it's so annoying so annoying (sighs) but uh yeah lyrically lyrically what do you what do you have on this one i mean we you touched upon it briefly but you have anything else on it no that's fine this is your like okay. 45B. That's okay. Oh, this is my 90. But I, I wanted to mention too, you, you kind of brought it up too about the lyrics, but he it's kind of a, it's a really sad song in that he talks about how just time just forgets and how like everybody forgets everything over time and nobody is ever remembered. Like the his relationship, no matter how much he he believes in it or how much he remembers it and misses it, it's just going to die away just like everything else. It's a very depressing thing to say or to just kind of talk about it. Kind of, I don't know. I, I, I love how melancholy and depressive Jimi Hendrix's lyrics were. This was, yeah, I, this was something I had not expected whatsoever. There was a lot of expectations I had with Hendrix. A lot of things I knew I was going to like and dislike based off of what I listened to in Isle of Wight, but never getting to his lyrics. That was the best part of this for me was how emo his lyrics were. Yeah, I I was very very surprised. We'll we'll talk a little bit more about that because uh a big song regarding like his uh his mental state is one of my bangers. My oh. my, my high bangers. So uh so yeah, okay, so do we have anything left on on the Wind Cries Mary? So like manic depressions like your 2B or what? Uh, it's close. It's close. What's your 1B? <laughs> It's manic depression, huh? No, it's fire. Oh, fire. Dude, fire. Come on, man. Okay. How can this not be your 1B? This is like, this is one of the most exciting Jimi Hendrix songs he's ever fucking written. It's my 7B. It's fine. When you really, when you really break down this song, <laughs> there's not a ton of guitar on this one. But goddamn, that fucking rhythm section 
with the backup vocals, the song is is arguably. I might say this is his best song. This I don't is, fucking care. I'll fucking say it. it's his best song. This is why I ranked it so low is because this is a pop song disguised as like a psych rock track, which is fine, but it's not showcasing like Jimi Hendrix, Mitch Missile, Mitch Missile, Missile, Missile. Is he Missile? <laughs> like but like a like a fucking Russian missile coming out, Mitch Missile. <laughs> I'm just gonna call him Mitch Missile. It's a lot easier than uh, Mitch Missile. Two two first Mitch names Mitchell, is just yeah. silly boy talk. Bob yeah, Bob Bobberson. Will Wilson Wilson. Wilson stupid. Wilson. Yeah, it's stupid. Mitch Mitch Missile. Mitch he Mitchell. uh dude he slays. Idiot. He's he's fantastic. <laughs> Noel's baseline when the solo hits, absolutely yeah. fantastic. And I think the riff itself is really cool. And I like the pacing of the riff. And I think the pacing of the riff is what makes it great. It's a fun song. But it is like it's a pop song. It's a pop that, song. But that's fine. I know it's fine. I know it's fine. But in but you're acting like, like it's not fine. That's, uh, no, that's what's this is seven B. This is seven B. Oh my god, it's just, it's just so stupid. It's fun. I think stupid. it's great. It's a seven B. B this B stands for banger. banger. B I know B stands stands for banger. That's why it says a seven B. But being that low of a banger, you, you just this is. There's been a lot of silly boy talk. I just on this episode. I. I I, I expect certain things from my Hendrix at this point, and this is not fulfilling. But what also, I want from you know, Hendrix. your your BB off of Axis was not a Hendrix song. That is true. I was so <laughs> so the, the, so <laughs> what you true. just what you've been saying makes no sense. It contradicts what you were talking about on Axis. Like it's no, nice we're talking hear, about it's this, this album. It, we're not we're not talking about Axis. But it's refreshing hearing something so straightforward that is not Hendrix led. That's what I'm saying. Like it has, yeah, it has the pop element. I get what you're saying. I understand that. I like the uh, song. The song is really good. Like it's this, one of his most iconic really songs. This that. is like a top five iconic Hendrix song of all time. I think it's his best. Fuck it, I'll say it. it's his best. I mean, <laughs> it's fucking like good, studio, man. like studio stuffs. Maybe it, I, there could be an okay, argument. Well, for okay, that. that's what we're talking. We're not talking about sure. Isle of White. I mean, we're not. We're not going to talk about the 22 minute version of Machine Gun. Baby I didn't actually 10 minutes of that fucking song. Baby boy. It's so good though. It's so fucking good. Um, but uh, no, Fire, man. Straight up, straight up great to the point song. Dude, I, I love the rhythm section. Mitch Mitch Missile. Um, mm. <laughs> he's so, so good. good. Mitch Missile's yeah, so good. <laughs> yeah, he, he's he's unreal. I don't know. I don't know what else I have to say about it. I mean, lyrically, it's it's a pretty it's pretty simple. It's about trying to woo a girl. That's all it did is. Did you did you see this was supposedly like inspired by he's being he was like like Hendrix was cold yeah, at Noel's see, mom's house. And then he was like dumb. asking if he could stand next to the fire to warm up. But like really come on, this is just another like overly sexual song. Yeah. There's so much there's so many yeah. stupid things written about that, his lyrics. Like I know, that's it irritates me. Uh, it's irritating. It's, uh, it really fucking irritated me. Uh, what else was I gonna say about this? Oh, because we can say whatever the fuck we want because he's dead and he can't like say anything about it. So we can like not that he would say anything if he was alive. (laughs) No, that's true because he's because (laughs) that's then that's like the sloppiness and greatness of Hendrix was like he changed lyrics constantly just to piss people off and be facetious and a douchebag about it, and that's great. Well, yeah, I mean, bringing it back to Purple Haze. From what I was reading, like when he would play that when they would play that song live, he would change the lyrics to like. Excuse me, while I kiss this guy, or like he would he would change it to to kind of make fun of somebody or something that happened at the concert or whatever, which I thought was kind of cool. 
Yeah, because everyone, because I mean, Playful. I don't think it sounds like it, but people thought it sounded like he was saying, "Excuse me, when I kiss this guy." Mm-hmm. And people thought he was like he was like gay and like oh that's not right and he was like okay well then fuck it I'm gonna lean into it and he would sing like excuse me like kiss his guy and then like blow kisses to Noel or blow kisses to yeah. Mitch Missile on stage and to just to like Stop piss people this. off. <laughs> How like it's Mitch not, Mitch Missile's a cool fucking name. It's not really <laughs> Mitch Missile. Like if my it's last name is really. Missile, come on, like you'd be a very prisoner to like I don't know uh. second in command at least. Mitch Mitchell, Mitch Missile, Mitch Missile. Uh, what was I gonna say? Oh, Chili Peppers did a good cover of this too. Pretty straightforward, but it's a cool cover. And knowing that you know, Frusciante's biggest, biggest influence was Hendrix. It's cool that they cover this song. I mean, that's a famous quote too, right? Like the the Hendrix favorite guitarist quote. Like I don't know if you've heard it, but the quote saying, "Jimi Hendrix may not be your favorite guitarist, but whoever your favorite guitarist is." Their favorite guitarist mm. was Jimi Hendrix. Jimi Hendrix, yeah, yeah. I've heard and that. and that that like always irritated me, but like I understand why more so this week because of the multi multi dimensional Jimi Hendrix was, even though he was just a a pawn in the production scheme and 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 the record labels and everything else. Yeah, yeah. At Honestly, his core, he was fantastic. Wait, say the last part. At his core, he was fantastic. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And like we talked about on the Richie Valens episode, imagine what would have happened after, or had he had they not died so young. I would be way more excited to have heard what Hendrix would have done than Richie Valens. Yeah, like, I mean, unfortunately, like like that Richie Valens thing. Like, yes, I I think he probably peaked because rock and roll that sound was already kind of on its way out. <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> Lasted like a year. I mean, well, like that rock, that sound of rock and roll was like early fifties, and then they died in like the late fifties, and you know by like sixty it was it was already gone. So it lasted like a decade, but Richie Valens was already late fifties on its own. But like Hendrix, I would I would like to see what's happening with Hendrix because I think like dude, because he jammed with Miles Davis, he was jamming Miles with Miles Davis, Davis. Miles Davis went to his funeral. Yeah, dude, Miles Fucking Davis. That blew my They jammed mind. together. They jammed together. It was never uh, recorded. It was never put to tape or anything. That's so annoying, dude. Not only did they jam together, Miles Davis was like a really big fan and was like, "Yeah, he fucking rocked." So like, you jam with Miles Davis, like the king of cool. Come on. Yeah. The so jazz, I, I, I mean, would, literally, I mean, the biggest jazz icon of all time. Bigger than Cole I just, I, I, I would have loved to hear Hendrix in like the. The fusion era of just all prog music in the seventies, like that would have just yeah, been, it could have been, it would have been unreal, absolutely unreal. He could have been like the 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 John McLaughlin of of the seventies. Just that's even, exactly what I was. You know thinking. what I mean? <laughs> that was like, the first guy that came into my mind. Like like that type was, of yeah of of uh, of uh, like like uh, what do you call it? Like like a jack of all trades. That type of of uh, like he could play with anybody and, and really yeah. just slay. Like well. Ugh. Did you read also that the uh, Keith Emerson and um, Keith Emerson and what's the lake? Greg Lake. No, <laughs> it's, it's Greg Lake. Oh, yeah. oh, I think it's a Great Lake. No, Greg Lake. Greg like Lake Superior. Um, okay, no, Greg Lake. Yeah, here on or Erie, you be superior. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, <laughs> stupid. Um, did you read that too? Where where they wanted to get Hen- they wanted Hendrix and Mitch Mitch Missile to be in the band, 
Like they they were starting a band. This is before ELP, but they were starting a band, and they wanted Hendrix and Mitch to be in the band. God but then in damn, the end, that would have been good. In the end, they ended up not not getting them to be in the band. And dude, yeah, like you just said, can you imagine that? That would have been and good. ELP in, in, Hendrix in oh. one of those ways where where like now we're getting like some of the most technical prog rock music mixed with just very absolute feel organically homegrown psychedelic rock without the production just let it go even if they did like two records you know not not overdoing it and putting out 10 records in 10 years just doing two records in like a year and a half like that could have been easily one of the greatest prog records of all time oof (laughs) having those four guys on one record would have been fucking unreal and you know also in the 70s had Jimi Hendrix not died, he, he he would definitely would have played with Grateful Dead. Oh, dude. Jimi Hendrix and I mean, the Grateful would, Dead. Fuck me. Are you kidding? I mean, it would be pretty fucking cool. Because like 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 Hendrix has he has the ability to play straight blues that is tight like Dwayne Almond could play. And he can go off on his own tangent and, and play his own iconic blues stuff. Also like Dwayne Almond, Jerry Garcia, and Bob Weir could play. But it's yeah. just I mean like, like we even got into the 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 reason why Jimi Hendrix is iconic, and I just but I cannot believe you know, it's 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 honestly taken me this long to appreciate his sound over his music because I appreciate his sound more than I do his music outside of Isle of Wight. Yeah, I understand that. I understand that. I will say too. I mean, Grateful Dead were a band while he was alive, so they could have easily played together and jammed together. But honestly, I think the only reason why they never did was because Hendrick was primarily based out of London, and then obviously they were in the Bay Area of California. I think had they been closer geographically, they would have definitely definitely played in the late sixties together. One hundred percent would have. Yeah, it was. I mean, it was very very brief in like the whole the whole Frisco scene, the psychedelic era of, of NorCal. I mean. It was brief, and then Jimi Hendrix, his life was also very brief. So leading up until 1970, it was just, I mean, we're talking like maybe a two and a half year period where there was some overlap of where Hendrix, he's like, oh, yeah, I've heard of the Grateful Dead. And then like a year later, he was dead. So there's like very little overlap. So I, yeah, I totally, I I agree. I get it. I mean, I I also didn't understand. I I didn't realize that he that he essentially lived so much of his life in Seattle. Yeah, I didn't know that either. I never knew that. I I, I didn't know he lived in Seattle at all. Yeah, that was that that surprised me. A lot. Like a huge part of his life has come from Seattle, and I like why the fuck is Seattle so hell bent on like the grunge shit when they could be leaning into like the Hendrix nothing sound? Nothing else to do. They could be leaning oh, into oh, the oh, Hendrix okay. shit. I, I, you know I what I mean? You, I didn't let you finish. I'm sorry. Yeah, I didn't let you finish. My bad. Like, good God. That's fine. I, I, grunge, okay, that's fine. Great. But, like, why have I never heard of Seattle, like, putting Hendrix up on the pedestal like they do grunge? I don't know. Well, it's probably because Hendrix didn't make his music out of Seattle. He made his music in in England, in London, right. really. But he picked up so his guitar in why. Seattle. Well, yeah, he picked up his guitar in Seattle. But then he, Actually, I mean, he picked be- up his ukulele in Seattle, and that's then he true. picked up his guitar in Seattle. 
Uh, see, that's another thing too. Like the whole the whole myth and story. It's all lore, it. baby. That's all lore. That's no different uh, than Robert Johnson selling his soul to the devil. Come yeah, on, baby. It's I lore. Know, I, I love it. I know. I know. I know. So good. I know he found the ukulele. He only had one string. One he string. Learned, so every he, song he, learned he how played. To play, he learned oh, how so to play good. Elvis's what love Hound it. Dog was it? Yeah. Yeah, Hound Dog on one string. Well, okay, that's fine. But dude, love come that on. shit. <sighs> Why? Why? Then, why then, is that annoying? But like Robert Johnson, literally selling his soul to the I devil know, is like a cool thing. Because the Robert Johnson thing is so outlandish that it's like, <laughs> it's fun. You know, it's just it's just straight up fun. And then he was fucking poisoned. You know, come on, that is way more. And then thinking about like you know, the South in the 1920s compared to you know London in 1970 or the 1960s. I mean, just the, the the difference in just everything, society, culture, was wildly different. So, I mean, the whole lore behind Robert Johnson is supernatural. It's a, it's silly, but you know it's silly. But Hendrix's <laughs> lore is more just let's it's, try it's, to it's make trying, it sound real. Yeah, it's trying, it's trying to be way real. too hard. Yeah, okay. it's trying to be real. Okay, no, that's fair. Ukulele with one string. <laughs> <laughs> Like what I thought, what I thought was super outlandish. Oh, the broom, the broom thing irritated me too. The broom, the broom, and how we got discharged. The broom and how we got discharged. Yeah. it's like, dude, you would get your. I mean, he did get his ass kicked in the army. But like, you he don't. Was, that's not the way it works. You don't just like sit around and jam and then sleep in and <laughs> yeah. and, and then get honorably discharged. Come on, come on, that's silly boy talk. That's, like not, that's not the way it fucking works. He was a paratrooper apparently, and then it says that. Or he or Hedricks claimed that he broke his ankle on his on the twenty. Oh, so he was discharged after his twenty sixth jump as a paratrooper, and in training, and then he he claimed he break he broke his ankle. But there's zero records of him breaking an ankle, and like some of the stories that Hendrix told are not true. No, in so. the sixties, like come yeah. on, like yeah, they're not letting anybody out of the fucking army at that point. That's silly <laughs> boy talk. This well, it was right thing, before Viet- it was right before Vietnam. It was like a year or two before Vietnam. But when like that whole that whole the, that whole Vietnam War thing. I mean, we're talking it's it's the height of it. It's, it's the sixties here. Like, Vietnam's annoying at this point. It's it's people hate it. It's it's stupid. Yeah. yeah. So like to think that that you're gonna get honorably honorably discharged for slacking off because like your your commanding officer says I think the army would be better if he wasn't here. I know that's that was just, the weirdest thing. Come on, that's the weirdest thing. They would uh, just use you. For, they, the army would just use you for fodder. Like they would just use you to just like be a body, just to sacrifice yourself for somebody who has trained harder than you. I mean, I was. This is the I mean, '60s. This is when they could hit the, you and shit. And this is before the civil rights movement. So they cared. Yeah. I mean, as bad as it as it is, they cared less for African American guys than they did white Dude, dudes. Like. Uh, there's a lot of weird, weird things. A black man also, in the army in the '60s thinking that he's going to get honorably discharged for slacking off is just that's no. it's weird. That's it's dumb. very strange. No. I mean, that leads into some conspiracy theories that the whole counterculture, the hippie culture, and all all that was all a CIA psyop. No, that's a whole other thing. And Hendrix was a part of it, and. You know, reading more this week about his military service and he's come all from this the family of military men. His dad, yeah, World War Two. Yeah. Maybe Jimi Hendrix Oof. was never. Maybe he wasn't real. He was a plant. Know. Yeah, could have been. A lot of people say Jim Morrison was a plant too. Like that was a oh, big one too. Easy that's tiger. That's a big. That's a big theory that he was a plant. Easy tiger. Mm, just saying. 
Jimi Hendrix also did take a lot from from the Doors too. I can I can see that. All right, so should I play a little bit of Fire? Because we haven't even played it, and we'll get into yeah. another song. Play play a little bit of Fire. That's that's fine. Okay. Sure. All right, here we go from uh, Jimi Hendrix. There you go, Fire from Jimi Hendrix. <laughs> Dude, there you go. It, it's just unbelievable how good the rhythm section is in this song. It it blows my mind. It fucking blows my mind. You know, you would you would really really like Sly and the Family Stone, like this is. I mean, what I've heard from them, I've I've enjoyed. Like 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 dance to the music. That's like their their. I think that's their first from their first album. Like this is, this song is very very much in that same vein as Sly and the Family Stone. Sly oh. Sly they were they were like early seventies, right? No, they were like mid to late sixties. They they came okay. like honestly like the same time like Hendrix was out. Oh, okay. Because so I thought they were like just like the precursor to to disco, like more funk, like seventies funk, and then oh, they're they're definitely like soul funk, disco. but but like psychedelic with instrumentation in the sixties. Okay, but yeah, got like it, got you it. would you would really really like the first like three albums by Sly and the Family Stone. All I right. got the first four in the vinyls, and the, they're all they're fucking fantastic. <laughs> I I I mean I see them when I go to record stores, but I never. I never buy them because it, it's it's a thing where yeah they they're really good but how often am I gonna go back and listen to them? Ooh, ooh, That's spoken really spoken by somebody who may has never dove into Sly and the Family Stone. I'm I don't know. I don't it's, know. All, it's it's been on the list to do for a while. I know it has. I know it's on the to do list. Okay. 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 So then, what is your uh, what's your two B? Two second banger on here. But so fire was your was your one B you said that's oh, my one B yeah we're not even like we're so far from but we've already talked about a couple like songs not like are you experienced purple haze probably uh, <laughs> may this be love that's your two B may this be love may this be love may this be love I mean, is this really your two B yeah dude this is my A B what is going on with you because you like I, I like a lot of these slower jams you like yeah, a you lot do. of the yeah you do this is. Normally you're like the balladman. Ever since the Alkaline Tree episode, you're like the balladman now. <laughs> but like this this week, uh, I'm I I like the slower jams. I like the slower stuffs. I I don't know. I like this. This is this is the ballad of the album. That's what that's what's happening. Yeah, you here. you did pick the two the two biggest the two ballads off of this as your. It's your got TV. this one's got like real soul to it. This is the Hendrix guitar sound that I love. It's quieter. It's a bit cleaner. That tone flows nicely, but it's still iconic to Hendrix. And this mm-hmm. is my favorite solo on the album here. It's pleasant and it flows so nicely, but he still thrashes. He thrashes by hitting like those Hendrix chords, which we haven't got into yet. He hits them so hard and so aggressive that they're super loud in the mix and they over the power, they overpower the solo over the and the power. music itself, but only for a couple seconds. He doesn't even let him linger. He's just like, hey, don't forget, I can shred. And that's it. <laughs> Yeah, this this song has more of like a ethereal kind of sound to it with the guitar effects. They're, they're not like a straight clean channel. Like there there's some stuff thrown in there, but it's it's nice. It's a very pleasant sounding song. It's very laid back. I like it a lot. And and the way that that Mitch plays the drums on this, he plays just mostly tom the toms. He doesn't really use the snare a whole lot, or you really use cymbals at all. It's just kind of like just kind of trudges along with that. And I hear a lot of Indian. Uh, influence too on this one not like overtly like with sitar and all that but just kind of little effects here and there mixed with the drums 
I, I, I hear some like Indian influence on that, which makes sense for the time. Yeah. But, uh, but then also that slow build into like that crescendo at the end, that mm. solo, mm. it's pretty fucking good. It's pretty fucking good. This is it's my the e- best album. The album. But this is my EP. But, um, yeah, and this is a killer fucking song. Should we play a little bit of it? Get into the lyrics. I mean, it's mm, eh, that's all right. I, I don't might know. as well. What, I mean, might as well. I feel like we've been talking a lot. I haven't. Even, we haven't even got to what makes Hendrix Hendrix. Well, I know, but this is your two B. Okay, play it. All right, play here we go. Fucking here's, track. Here's a little bit of a "May This Be Love" from Jimi Hendrix. There you go. "May This Be Love" from Jimi Hendrix. What do you have lyrically on this one? Mm. I thought he used the word waterfall. A lot. I thought, I thought you were singing right now, but it was just the music oh, no. fading out still. Yeah. Long fade. Long fade there. Yeah, my, my signature fades. You've not done a long fade like that in a while. I, mean, I do them a lot, but you just don't that hear That one got it. me. That's true. That's probably true. Yeah. You don't hear um, Discord? I, I, think, I think he uses the idea of a waterfall to like keep him constant. I, I don't know what his waterfall is, but it's similar when like suburban moms say shit like, like you're my rock, referring to <laughs> someone stable to help them through tough times and shit. Yeah. I think like that's his waterfall. Okay. All right. I, I can uh, I, I agree with you on that. I love him because he's my rock. God, dude, shut up. <laughs> it is kind of annoying. That's <laughs> <laughs> fucking dumb. Uh uh yeah, this, to me this is like this is him talking about daydreaming or, or or even just meditating, um, and just kind of getting into the mindset of not caring what the outside world thinks of him, and um, just kind of thinking outside of the status quo and just kind of trying to expand your mind. That's what I got lyrically on this one. This one, this one is one of the few songs that's a little bit more cryptic than most of the record, but of course people are talking about all kinds of. Weird ass shit that I don't think he was that deep. It also kind of reminds me of the song "Time," uh, the the time, time, time is on my side by the Stones from the the early sixties, like mid sixties. I don't remember that song. Time, time, time is on my side. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. (laughs) I don't remember. Oh, dude, I don't remember that song song at all. Every I, I mean, I. I listened to like 15 Rolling Stones albums. So, and where where the first 6 sound identical to one another. Oh. It's true. It's true. Okay. We talked about it. Come on. Man. Go listen to that podcast anybody listening right now. Go listen to when we did the Rolling Stones. That was a that was a that was quite the week. That was a doozy. Yeah. I, I listened to 27 week. Rolling Stones albums that week. <laughs> You're fucking insane. Especially getting into the 80s. Like, fuck, man. You did that I, with Queen, too. Like, you listened to all the shit after post-1980. No, did I? I think you did. I think I Queen did. has some gar- They have some garbage records. I mean, their second album is pretty garbage, but... <laughs> I like their first, like, eight albums on the vinyls, and I got rid of all but, like, five. I think you maybe need, like, two. No, come on. That's just silly boy talk. Come on. Their first <laughs> album... That's just like straight up good rock and roll. Yeah, it's good. Night at the Opera. That you know, that's iconic. Yeah. Sheer Heart Jazz. Attack. It's got like the first I, beginnings of thrash metal on it. 
Like Queen is like very metal in a lot of their music. Like you're you're just being True. silly boy talk. You know, jazz. You I, love jazz. You like jazz. Jazz. Is, I do have jazz, but it might be on the chopping block because I have I have three Queen records. I have Sheer Heart Attack, Jazz, and I have Night at the Opera. Where did you get Sheer Heart Attack? I think I have Sheer Heart Attack. Yeah, I have Sheer. You do not have Sheer Heart Attack. I'm pretty sure I do. You, no, there's no way. There's no way. Why is there no way? Because that's a record that you don't find in the wild used a lot because people scoop it up immediately and uh, you only buy it if you really know what it's like. I don't think you have Sheer Heart Attack. I don't know. I know for I th- sure I think, then I, I have, think you have I think you have jazz, I think you have uh have News of the World, and I think you probably have Night at the Opera. I I know for sure I have Night at the Opera and Jazz, but I'm pretty sure I have Sheer Heart Attack too. I know you have jazz because I I got you the jazz. Yeah, you, yeah, yeah. You have, a, you, have a, you, have, you have a nice clean copy of jazz too. It's pricey. It's pricey. It was pricey. You you paid like twenty dollars for it. Yeah, it's pricey. It's pricey for Queen. It's like a, like an early pressing, super fucking clean copy. Get out of this fucking. It guy. is very clean. Yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, uh, so that was your number two. Do you have anything else on that one? No, that's it. That's it. That's all. That's it. All right. So my number two is uh, I don't live. I don't live today. Mm. This is my two B. Where does this one sit for you? It's my 4B, baby. Love oh, this Oh, there one. we go. We're, we're starting to, you know, connect here. A little bit. Um, this one, to me, is just, it's overall just very bluesy styled, very blues styled. Um, but, you know, it, obviously more, it's just heavier because of Hendrix. But then Mitch Mitchell comes in, mm. has that super catchy drum part, kind of reminiscent of some Travis Barker, you know, in the later years. Um that he plays through and when that chorus hits when he speeds up the coolest part of the fucking record you know what i'm talking about i do there's there's several parts he double he double times it in the chorus but it's it's not it's not like he's double timing to be like a punk drummer he 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 double he double times but then slows down but then like like he's hitting the hi-hats on like the upbeat to create like even more dynamic of a sound because he's slowing down on the beat, but he still wants to hit like the like that kind (laughs) of sound, but then goes back into the double time and then goes back into that, 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 I don't know, that weird like fucking polka type beat. You know what I mean? He does it very quickly. Like he goes back and forth very quickly. This is his tightest song on the album for sure. And it's, it's, Dude, he slays on this. And I, I, I wrote, too, that his double timing and then slowing down again is, is like, hypnotizing. It's amazing. Yeah. It's unreal. Yeah. And then you mix that with that that drum part that sounds like a drum loop. But it's just that one... I don't. I can't even try to do it. Like it, He plays pretty much the same thing through the entire song outside of that chorus part. And then you get that, that break in the middle of the song where everything stops. And then it builds up again, and it's pr- it's pretty much just Mitch fucking around and soloing on the drums, and then Hendrix does like some vocal stuff, but it's pretty much just like a like a jam, like the last like maybe two minutes, minute and a half of the song it's, is just like a jam, and it's right it's around wild. It's right around the two thirty mark, and that's when yeah. it gets super rad. It's it's one of, it's honestly one of the best parts of the album, and it's not just a speed up and wank to like end the song. It's got feeling to it. And it, yeah. all, it all bleeds in and bleeds out. And Hendrix does a really great job of, of kind of just making noise. My problem with it is Spotify. <laughs> the vol- oh. Spotify, again, with the stereo mix. It's fucking yeah, yeah. annoying. They do a lot with the stereo on, on that ending part. And then 
I mean, this isn't just Spotify. This is the actual mix of it. But they, it's kind of annoying. But they they turn the volume down like almost all the way, and then they turn it up real quick. Yeah, and then turn it down. Super fucking irritating. Yeah, it, it's a little strange, but they're experimenting in the studio. It's just, man, this I song mean, is fucking wild. Yeah, no, okay. So I'm gonna play a little bit of this song. We'll get into the lyrics. There's not not a lot there lyrically, but let's uh, let's listen to a little bit of "I Don't Live Today" from Jimi Hendrix. There you go. I don't live today from Jimi Hendrix. Dude, like I said, Mitch's drumming on this is 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 unreal. It's top notch. Dude, it's it's unbelievable, man. That <laughs> that double time in the chorus is phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. But um what do you got lyrically on this one? I I, I think like structurally it's a cool song. He's kind of like posing questions and answering them himself. Yeah. As, as if it's like a, this introspective, like in that Hendrix knows his mental health has never been the healthiest, stemming from mm-hmm. his childhood, and now and now we're I don't know we're we're having him or we're hearing him be very down on himself, not quite like suicidal, but very morbid. In the mm-hmm. line, I, I I like it a lot, but it is kind of like very very sad and depressing. But the line that he says, "No sun coming through my windows," <laughs> yeah. feel like. Feel like I'm living at the bottom of a grave. I wish you'd hurry up and execute me so I can be on my miserable way. That's that, some- dude, that, 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 that would, that would, that's a line that I, 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 that probably blew me away more than anything musically that Hendrix did. I never, I never expected him to be this, this like emo, this morbid, this dark. That was, that was unreal to me. Yeah, that it truly was unreal to me. He's never portrayed as like this depressed guy. He's always portrayed as like this rock icon, and he's never thought of like this as this I, deep of a guy. I've never thought of him as anybody else except for just a pompous kind of rock god who could have With any woman he wanted. Yeah, groupies and drugs. That's pretty much, you know, outside of his music. That's what I always kind of in, thought about him. Whereas, like in actuality, he escaped to those things because of his manic, like, like depression. Even though that yeah. was probably your three B, but <laughs> <laughs> it's up there. It's up there. It's a good song. It's a fucking great song. But then I, I will talk about that when we get to manic depression. You know, lyrically, I, I agree with you. I mean, I agree with you hundred percent lyrically on this one. Uh, but it's also kind of a throwback to like traditional blues songs, where it's very much just kind of it's very depressing. Like that's what the blues are. It's, it's about sadness and heartbreak and this and that. And he really does take it to the next level. Like you said, in that, the end of that verse, those last three lines or those four lines, dude, it's, it's like he, he really just channeled his darkest, his darkest feelings. It's sad stuff. Yeah. I love this fucking song. It's, we forget it's, too. Like honestly, we forget. Like like we put Jimmy, 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 <laughs> Jimmy. <laughs> <laughs> Who the fuck's name ever has been Jimmy with an E? <laughs> Jimmy, that's the worst name ever. It's a new name. It's a new name. That's awful. I'm surprised I haven't heard of Jimmy yet. That's true, huh? Yeah. There's a lot of Jimmy. stupid names out there. There's a lot of stupid names. I know yeah, kids. Jeff. I know kids in my kids' schools that are named Bear, Cricket. Oh, there's a yeah, Cricket. Jemmy, but yeah, I, 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 I don't know where I was going with this. You want to hear some two really stupid names real quick? I would love to. I love stupid names. Jonathan Davis's two youngest kids. Mm-hmm. One of their names is Zeppelin, 
and the other one is pirate. I mean, like, like, like what's what's in a name, right? As Shakespeare said, what, what's in a name? Oh, it, would a rose by neither the name smell as sweet? It's just a name. Who cares? Oh, but, but I mean, I'm going to laugh at stupid names. This is this is what I do. It's no disrespect. <laughs> it's just is what you do. It's no disrespect. It's just when I find something funny, I laugh. My my body laughs. So if you say, "Hey, this is this this is my kid pirate," I'm gonna fucking laugh because that is. I mean, uh, I would laugh too. It's stupid. <laughs> it's very okay. stupid. Yeah. This is this is my kid uh, Frank, and this is uh, Jim. What's your kid's name? Oh, pirate. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Here we go. Oh God! Yep. All right. So, what do you got for your three B? I don't know three B. Uh, we're actually getting close to the end here. We are. We, again, I, I have all these notes of why Jimi Hendrix is one of the greats. We haven't talked about any of them. Okay. Well, let's get let's get going. You're on your three B. I'm sure you're almost there. No, the, I I I divide it into four categories. I talked about it earlier: guitar, amp, effects, and play style. Okay. What do you want to get into first? Let, let's okay. Let, let's kind of spread this out. Let's. Talk. Let's talk about guitar and amp right now. Okay. Well, let's just start with guitar then, because it's it's you said it first. Okay. <laughs> so let's let's just start let's just start oh, easy. So guitar. How is that annoying? I don't know. What, annoying. You annoy me. What What <laughs> makes Jimi Hendrix iconic is not his songwriting at all. It's because he's not he's not that great. His lyrics, mm-hmm. eh, let's find. It's his sound and the way he plays guitar. So let's start with guitar. He plays a right-handed guitar that was strung left-handed. Yes. What does that mean? What that means is is because it's strung upside down, he's getting brighter lows and he's getting darker highs because the pickups are opposite to where mm-hmm. the one string is now the sixth string and vice versa. So he's getting he's getting a more complex sound on the high end and the low end now. And that's that's stupid. That's that's weird, right? <laughs> Isn't is that weird, stupid? Yeah. Like he plays, le- he he does play that way, but then he he doesn't decide or he doesn't think about switching out the pickups. It, it, but like it, th- that that yields brighter lows, but normally yeah, you get yeah. like brighter highs. You would get like more crisp high ends, and you would get darker rich lows. But he's getting the opposite. He's getting like brighter lows. He's getting rich rich low ends. So you, he's getting a lot of treble and lows. And then he's getting a lot of like bass in the highs. So he's getting a nice, like fucking perfect sound all around. Like, yeah, like he's he's reinventing the guitar. Something so unique. In that. Yeah. But that I mean that's that's just because he's lazy. Really. <laughs> right? Or he that's didn't not, know better. I mean, or he just didn't know better and he didn't care. Yeah. That I mean that's that's what it is. So like as far as the guitar aspect is concerned that's fucking cool and then we talked about like lighting the guitar on fire playing with the teeth playing behind the head these are not yeah. it, nothing here is is Jimi hendrix invented and and by omission like he said like i did not invent any of these things these are things that i saw other people do and i'm emulating them and i give him credit for that because you know that's humble and that's that's respectful i get it that's cool yeah yeah but like my God, dude, the Stratocaster would not be the Stratocaster would not be anything without Jimi Hendrix. Honestly, you just would you're, not. No, you're absolutely right. Yeah. It would not there, be anything. There's no guitar player that that really identifies with the Stratocaster like Jimi Hendrix does. Th- like, there's 
There's like no Jimmy guitar. Page, Jimmy Page is Les Paul. Hendrix is Stratocaster. But Jimi Hendrix is so much more than so much more to Stratocaster than Jimmy Page was to Les Paul. True. True. Like, yeah. And that, I mean that's just because of marketing too. Like Fender just is better at marketing than than any any other guitar manufacturer ever will be. But goddamn, like the Stratocaster is just the most iconic guitar in, in history of music. For sure. Mm-hmm. It really is. And then like, what about the amp? Like the, the amps. Yeah. Did he snagged Absolutely. he snagged he snagged a Marshall amp super early on, maxed out all the fucking knobs, the the Hendrix settings. And then he just straight up didn't shy away from the feedback. He embraced the feedback, which is something nobody had done up to this point. Even like or Dick not to Dale. That extent. Even, not even Dick not Dale. Dick Dale's the only other person that really pushed amplifiers to their max and then kind of got feedback. But that was just because he's he played so goddamn fucking fast that when he wasn't playing, there was feedback. So nobody really sh- <laughs> nobody re- nobody really embraced the feedback the way he did. He overdid the distortion and he overdid the overdrive to cause such an abundant amount of noise that it was super annoying. And that's what you want to do in rock and roll, right? You want to just be fucking yeah. annoying to people. You want them to remember remember you no matter what it takes. I, I want to remember Jimi Hendrix because he was fucking annoying, but I still remember him. <laughs> Bad publicity is better than no publicity type of thing. And I think that's what his early days was about. And my God, Marshall would be nothing without Jimi Hendrix. So now You're we right. got now we got the Strat being nothing without Jimi Hendrix, and now we got Marshall being nothing without Jimi Hendrix. Fuck me. And then on top of that, I mean, no specific company, but the the popularity and the use of the wah wah pedal. Now like, we're getting the effects, baby. Yeah, I mean, four pedals: octave pedal, fuzz pedal, the Univibe, and the wah wah. So yeah. yeah, the the wah wah. I mean, I think it's the biggest. Dude, come on, because nobody I mean, was so using like, it. Nobody was using it like Hendrix was. So nobody. so so I, I mean, nobody was using any of these the way he was using. Them. So like the octave, that one creates a note one octave higher than the one that's being played. So now you're yeah. getting a more a, a more full sound, and that's mm-hmm. that's cool because it's allowing him to solo, but then also kind of play like like a more a more high lead part on top of the solo that he's playing to give it a more dynamic sound. The fuzz pedal, I mean, these pedals apparently had a reputation for being super difficult to control sound-wise when they were not plugged into the guitar as the first part of the string. So you have four mm-hmm. pedals, right? You plug into one, and that that pedal plugs into another, that pedal plugs into another, and that pedal plugs into another, and then that yeah. pedal plugs into the amp. So Hendrick would like specifically not plug the fuzz pedal directly into his guitar because they'd fuck up so much, he liked that fucked up sound. So he'd do like guitar to the octave to the fuzz, as opposed to the 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 recommended guitar to the fuzz to the whatever. Mm-hmm. So he would he would purposely do it like the opposite to get that that shitty like distorted, already distorted fuzz sound from the pedal. Yeah, yeah. So 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 he's already kind of like pushing the envelope as far as just obnoxious sound goes. And then he gets the Univibe. The Univibe creates a chorus slash vibrato sound, depending on which channel you choose on the pedal itself. And this is the one that he had on stage on on, on Woodstock. This mm-hmm. is this is like the, the the pedal that he went back and forth on on Woodstock and all of those all those all those really, really nice like things that he played during the <laughs> Star Spangled Banner, that's what you hear. Yeah. That's the Univibe. 
but for sure so the I, most I'm, iconic I'm, there. I'm very unfamiliar with the Univibe. I really am. I, I don't know much about that one. So like, like like the chorus is just is just as it sounds. It's just like if you had fourteen other guitar players yeah, playing yeah. just the highs and lows and a little bit out of tune, a little bit in tune, just a lot of people just playing the same notes you're playing. And the vibrato is just that like the yeah. vibrato. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, no, yeah the, the vibrato. Yeah. Like you whamming on really really quick. Like you shaking your hands back and forth <laughs> on the whammy bar. As fast as you possibly know. can, you get a vibrato sound. That's but like the the, the Univibe itself was the one that Hendrix had on stage at Woodstock, and that's where all of those iconic sounds on the Star Spangled Banner had come from. Was the Univibe? Okay, got it, got it, got it. But like you're right, the most iconic thing that he has played, not the best thing that he's played, but the most iconic thing that he played was the Wah Wah. Yeah, was that? And it's like you could fucking play anything on a Wawa pedal and it's gonna sound great. Like Crybaby, those pedals are just they're stupid. They're stupid yeah, they fucking are, yeah. fun. They are they're stupid so fun. fun. Yeah. My the the pedal I have, the Wawa pedal I have, I I haven't used it in years actually, but yeah, I used to have so much fun with it. But then, and then you look <laughs> you look at somebody like Tom Morello and Kirk Hammett, their whole career is based off of the Wah pedal. Like their biggest things are the Wah pedal, the Wawa pedal. And the Wawa pedal, like that, that pedal was was born, was born like right when Jimi Hendrix started using it. Like I think Jimi Hendrix was maybe the first person to use it. And and some of these like 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 I think it was the Univibe stemmed from this Leslie speaker, which like the Leslie speaker. I don't know if you read about the Leslie speaker at all, but it was this, it was this, the speaker that that you know like. Like imagine you're ha- you're standing like you and me are standing face to face, and I have a speaker in my hand facing you. I'm holding it like it's a box, and mm-hmm. I I rotate myself. I stand in place and I rotate myself 360 degrees. The yeah. sound that it sounds like when it's facing you, and the sound that speaker makes when I'm rotating all the way around to where it's facing the opposite of you, and you can't really hear it, but you can kind of still hear it. And when it comes back around, right, that rotating sound. Yeah, yeah. That's like that was the Leslie speaker, and so like that Leslie speaker was kind of honed and then changed a little bit to be, I think the Univibe, and that was what the vibrato sound eventually turned into. So it took this, but like how cool is that to think there was a fucking a cabinet out there at some point where the speaker (laughs) itself like rotated this big fucking speaker (laughs) rotated within the cabinet to create this yeah that's weird this like helicopter sound. I mean, it's super fucking cool, but this is the fucking cool '60s. I love this. is so cool. This is amazing. There was, yeah, there were so many crazy experimental things going on in this this decade. And I, I I like I like that Hendrix is 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 embracing all of these effects, putting them into a guitar, and making all of it just so 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 playful. But I will say that he's a product of his time. If it wasn't for Hendrix, it would just be anybody else at this time. He just. It, he, he he was just fortunate enough to be kind of open minded to a lot of different things, but that's yeah, fine. Yeah, that's true. That's true. But then the play style, the play style, the play style was the biggest thing about Hendrix, right? So like I I rank these in order of of intensity. Guitar is is one thing, and then amp, then effects. Mm-hmm. But play style is the number one thing that makes Hendrix Hendrix, and that's the Hendrix chord, the yeah, Hendrix oh, yeah, chord. Yeah. And I was reading like a lot about it. And I don't know a lot about like like uh. Uh, the nuance and, and music and then musical theory and stuff, but like specifically, there's there's this this it's just like like augmented seventh sharp ninth 
cord that he uses. <laughs> yeah. It's something I've never really kind of come across. And it's 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 this weird fucking thing. And Matt Grant, he's he's left-handed, so he like covers the six-string. What it was a six-string? If you're over there, I I, don't know, I guess it would be the I don't know. He covers the fat string with his right thumb, and essentially mm-hmm. plays like this chord that is both really pleasant, like a D chord, which is this really nice and smooth. But he adds that like that pinky on there, which I think is the ninth. And then he adds that pinky on there to create this this really weird like dissonance. It's really weird, this unnerving sound to where like that chord sounds great, but I think you're off a little bit. But it's a purposeful off. He purposely puts that last pinky on there to make it sound fucking weird. And then okay. like the hammer-ons and pull-offs, all the shit that he's done. And he again, he didn't invent like these chords. He didn't invent the hammer-ons and pull-offs, but like he brought him to rock. Yeah, he, he brought utilized it, them. He brought really him well. to fucking rock. He brought the hammer on yeah. the pull offs to rock. He brought the slides to rock. So he's going up and down the neck on this, on this one chord really. And and if you watch like people on YouTube play this one this one chord, and you can watch them, they don't even move their hand. They just they strum and they go up and down. And you're like, holy fuck, that's all Hendrix really did. But the, that hmm. the, the genius is in its simplicity. Yeah, and yeah. that's. That, that's what Hendrix did. And then like the slop, the sloppiness. Yeah. Like not, sloppy. not just including like, like the spelling and the changing of lyrics, right? Like the Foxy versus Foxy F O X E Y versus F O X Y and the kisses sky versus kisses guy versus everything else he said. But like just the way he played was so sloppy was so, was so childish. Like he never took anything seriously. And I love yeah, that. That's what it seems like. And like just that's that's what I want for my rock star is just uh, just have a good time, man. And I felt like Hendrix had just a great time until the day he died. I I would agree. I would agree with you on that. Absolutely. It's such it's such a a tragic way he died too. I mean, choking on his own vomit. <laughs> it's insane. <laughs> so sad. Twenty seven. Yeah, twenty seven years old. I but the like, guy was like he would go. Not I wouldn't say benders, but dude, the guy would be up for like three or four days straight this is what happens when you had pretty much like zero upbringing as far as like like role models or rules and mm-hmm. you have like an unlimited supply to any kind of drugs to to women to to alcohol and there's really no accountability and you answer to nobody and everybody is just thinking like you're, you're a god you can do whatever you want and you probably have no friends nobody you can trust and it's tragic. It honestly is tragic. And like we're in our mid thirties now. And to think back when we were like twenty seven, had we died at twenty seven, like that is that's, that's tragic. Crazy. That's so sad. Yeah. yeah. Like where we were at in life at twenty seven. Yeah, absolutely. Like how much more you can live. Like twenty seven is fucking nothing. I know. But it's, it's funny nothing. like when when we when I was in high school and listening to Hendrix and finding out about, you know, Kurt Cobain and 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 Jimi Hendrix and Janis Joplin, the 27 Club, you know? Hearing about how they all died at 27 and me being 15, 16, thinking, oh, dude, they're so fucking old. But now at 35, we're like, I'm thinking, fuck, dude, that... I, I still... It still boggles my mind that people like Kurt Cobain and Jimi Hendrix are 27. Like, they don't look like they were 27. They look like they were 45, 50 years old. Yeah. But they were young motherfuckers. They were so fucking young. Uh, it's so strange. Even Jim Janis Morrison Joplin too. too. Jim, yeah, Morrison, Jim Morrison, yeah, Jim Morrison, Morrison looks fucking Joplin. old too. 
even even Amy Winehouse, you know, she looked older than twenty seven. You know, also twenty seven too, right? It was Pigpen from Grateful Dead? Was he really? Yeah, he was, he was their original keyboardist. Oh well, come on, it's Grateful Dead. Nobody knows anybody outside of Jerry. Jerry, that's eh, probably true. Do we have anything else on on his technique or things like that? I mean, we can always go down a huge rabbit hole on his technique and his influence on other guitar players, but. I I really tried to hone it down on like the four different things that made him iconic, the guitar, his amp, the effects, but overall his play style. Yeah. And uh, if if you look at like guitar by itself, like yeah, there's people that can match him, and then you you combine it with the amp. Yeah, there's still people that can do what he does. Combine that with the effects, the guitar amp effects. Now you're getting like into a smaller pool of people that sound like Hendrix. But then when you add like his specific play style, that that Hendrix chord, all yeah. four of those things together is why I think Hendrix is one of the greatest. I would agree. And and the fact that he created all this for the most part. Yeah. You know, it was it wasn't like he was trying to copy somebody else somebody else's style to a T, like you were just explaining. Yeah, you can create what Hendrix was doing in nineteen sixty nine, but you didn't create it yourself. Do you got anything else on that one? On that? No, that's I'm dude, I'm 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 good. I'm good to go overall. Like that was Oh, you you want to wrap it up? I mean, let's see. We got uh, how many more bees you got? I mean, I got like one. I mean, I got I got 10 bees, but I oh, mean, I understand uh, we don't have to go through it all. Well, let's I get mean, through man let's at least get through manic depression cuz I know you like that one a lot. That's my 4B. Yeah, that that's my 4B. Yeah. Um, I mean, really this song, this song has always kind of stuck out to me ever since I first started listening to to Hendrix. There's just something about it that I don't know. I think it's just the sloppiness of the song and just that the wild drum loop throughout the entire thing. And um, it's just a very melancholy kind of song. Just the way it's, it's the way he, he vocalizes it. It's very, very melancholy and it just stands out with like his big hits. It stands outside of his big hits of Foxy Lady, Purple Haze, Voodoo Child, all that kind of stuff because it's the complete opposite of craziness. Not, well, not craziness, but, you know what? Do you know understand what I'm trying to say? No, I I get it. I I mean, first so, so like first of all, manic depression. That that's a cool. I mean, I don't whatever. I I know what it means. And I understand what's going on, but that's just a cool name. It just sounds cool. Yeah. It reminds me of like the little punk band Manic Hispanic. Love it. It's cool. But like <laughs> manic depression. It's 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 fucking dope. It's, it, and this intro is is rad. It's super cool. It's very busy. And we're talking yeah, like yeah. note matching the melody with the bass guitar and the guitar. Mitch Missile is killing it here <laughs> on this track. He's the highlight for sure. He, this is the one where I think he has like this kind oh, of totally. bottom type animalistic style going on, but he's tuned into a more like jazz centric drumming body. So he's he's like honing in two different like like a Buddy Rich meets John Bonham coming in and just like just just slaying. Mm-hmm. But like yeah. I like Hendrix's solo. It's loud, it's aggressive in its tone, and it's slow. It doesn't need to be super quick. It doesn't need to be crazy. It just need to be like, let it play out a little bit. Just chill. But this one, like the, the stereo channels again on, on Spotify. Yeah, it oh, pans quite a bit. and it's Separating really the guitar annoying. from the vocals is just like, why do you do this? <laughs> I know. Like I'm watching like a they, fucking movie, dude. It's, it's like they, they took It's like they took Sgt. Pepper's and just like, 
turned it on its fucking head. <laughs> you know, know? Yeah. like stereo with, mix wise. That's without any rhyme or reason. Like, oh, do you remember when the Beatles did it? Let's just do it. When? I don't know. Right now. <laughs> right now. <laughs> God. Uh, it's so annoying sometimes. But but, the, uh, but this is one too where I thought that, that, that Mitchell's like his Tom sounds. I, I thought mm-hmm. his Tom sounds were dope. I thought they sounded so hollow and so deep. Like you could clearly tell those were Toms apart from the snare. Sometimes in drum kits... If if you're not like really paying attention, a tom sound can sound like a snare sound if oh, they're yeah. cracking as loud. This one, the tom sounds so fucking hollow. Sound like there's no bottom on it. It's just dropping out from the bottom, and yeah. you can, like the wood. It was probably made in like the fucking forties, and it's an old drum set. Love the sound of the toms on this one. And it also, I mean, a lot of parts on this record, but especially this song too, it sounds like the way they mic'd it, it sounds like they just use like room mics. Like they probably didn't even really mic the toms, <laughs> yeah. the snare. Like they probably just set up like two microphones in the room and then just use that as the take. It's probably, I mean... On the same get, track, like, yeah. Re- reading more case. about how they recorded this record and how they quickly recorded Mitch and Noel's playing and they recorded in mono, so like it just... It just seemed like it was very just haphazardly recorded. Yeah, for them. And then, like, Hendrix got his, like, his, if we're talking, like, any kind of, like, A-track. I mean, Hendrix got most of it, and they got, like, the leftovers. Yeah. I mean, I reading more, too, like, you know, normally, like, bands in the U.S., they would record on an A-track, so they had more, they had more room to, like, spread out the instruments. But in where they recorded in London, they were recording to four tracks, and then what they were doing, to my understanding, they were, they would record... Mitch and Noel's part, and then they would they would tape that onto one tape so that Jimmy could have more more area to to explore, and that was annoying too. I didn't like that. Um, oh, and and you know we we didn't even mention this, but we've talked so much about the stereo part of this and all that, and anybody who's listened to the actual songs that we've played, they've all been in mono because the way our mixers <laughs> work here on the podcast. The stereo doesn't come in right, so we just play everything through a mono channel. And uh, so, yeah, so all the shit that you're hearing on the podcast won't make any sense to what we're talking about. It's not what we're complaining about at all. Yeah. (laughs) You just got to go listen to it on the streaming services. Then you'll understand if you don't know already. Uh, So I'm just going to play a little bit of Manic Depression because you you just got to do it. So here it is from, um, from Jimi Hendrix. There you go, Manic Depression from Jimi Hendrix. And another thing we, we, we didn't really talk about much, but Manic Depression, this was what eventually became known as bipolar disorder, which I didn't know that. Did you know about that? No, I've, I've, I've never even heard of... Honestly, the only thing I've heard of Manic would be like Manic Hispanic, and I was surprised you knew the little goofy punk rock group of manic hispanic well but i mean ephraim sings in that song in that band does he Do you know that yeah he's the singer in the band i don't know yeah. if he's always been the singer but he, he sings in the band yeah I, I just know him as like a super group of of hispanics from like the the the, the punk and punk rock scene yeah yeah yeah. That's adolescents cool. and shit like that but yeah manic depression I, I thought it was a cool thing and, and and it makes sense because like lyrically the song i i, I think it's about like Hendrix dealing with people constantly calling him out for probably being an emotional dude in a time where, where, where like, I don't know, rock guys should be manly men where 
Robert Plant is is like a manly guy, and the Who are are, mm-hmm. are manly men, whereas Hendrix is kind of dressing like a feminine, more so than his contemporaries, and and it's it's dealing with a lot of uh, psychological issues that that Hendrix had struggled with throughout his whole life. And yeah, absolutely. To compare like Hendrix with Jim Morrison, whereas Jim Morrison like embraced that kind of like like. What do you call that? Like, like, uh, we, we in the, the 90s, sexuality. we called it no, no, metrosexual, like, like oh. in the 90s, we called it metrosexual. Like, in Jim Morrison embraced that metrosexualness, whereas Hendrix kind of dressed it in like the tighter clothes with the with the flamboyant outers. But I think because he was he was African American, people thought, like, oh, that's just that culture, so it wasn't really understood. And so I think Hendrix was just kind of like at the butt of everything. Like no one really cared about what he thought. No one really cared about who he was. Mm-hmm. They just saw him as as a as a uh, what do you call it? like a like an image, like a like a brand. Yeah. Did you see some of the the things that were like some of the headlines that were written about him when he first kind of broke on the scene? What was it? What do you got? Like like one of them. I, I'm just going off of memory right now. But the the one that like really stuck out to me. Because I was like, shit, dude, this is like kind of racist, but it's the, they called him like the wild man of Borneo. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, dude, first I mean, of all, this guy's from fucking Seattle. Uh, so it's just it's just a weird headline. Like there was a lot of things coming out, apparently, at the, I mean, at the time uh, when he broke out on the scene where people like the headlines were kind of racist like that. I don't know. I don't know what I don't know where I was going with that. I just thought it was a interesting tidbit like on, on society and you know civil rights which you know he didn't from a little from, from what i was reading too about civil, the civil rights movement he didn't have a big part in that like he kind of stayed away from it and i guess he maybe he was writing a song that was supposed to be on his fourth record that was supposed to be like um like something to help out like the the movement but obviously he died so that never happened but do you know what i'm talking about yeah i mean th- i wish it i wrote was... it down but i forgot this was like like mid to late sixties, and, and I mean, I, I he was still young. He was still a young mm-hmm. guy, so his 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 contribution to like the civil rights movements was was as big as like Jim Morrison's was, and it was just like I mean, it's not a lot, but I don't know. He was he was he was still there, you know yeah. what I mean? Like he he still yeah. he still had he still had a say in it, but I I I think he was just like Hendrix was just all about the music, and it was all about like his music. And not in like a, a conceited way. He just wanted to play music. He just wanted to. He he just wanted to be a rock star as a kid. I don't think he ever kind of progressed mentally past the age of like maybe like sixteen or seventeen. He just didn't grow up in that in that kind of mindset. And we see it in his his military career where he slacked off supposedly, mm-hmm. and everything that happened. I I I think he was just. I've said it once, but I'll say it again. He was like emotionally underdeveloped. Underdeveloped. Yep. Yeah, so he just never like progressed past a certain age, and and all he wanted to do was just be like a rock star, but not like a rock star like a Robert Plant rock star. He wanted to be a rock star like a Jimi Hendrix rock star, where just he wanted to fucking just play music for a lot of people and mm. have a good time. He didn't want to be rich or famous. He just wanted to have a good time, and he, I think he just wanted to be loved. To be honest, and the sixties was a weird time. Like, goddamn, I know it was. I, I mean, it wasn't even like until yeah, the, like the sixties, not that long ago. And there, I mean, yeah, women could vote in the '60s, but like realistically, like black women were not 
they were like denied voting rights until like the mid sixties. So like the sixties yeah. was not that long ago. And no, and, 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 and Hendrix is, is a I don't know. I, I I don't think you need to be ingrained in the civil rights movement to have an impact on the civil rights movement. Whereas what I mean by that is Hendrix doesn't need to constantly reiterate the importance of it to be important in its, in its, in yeah, its progress. It. Yeah, yeah. Because what he was doing was as important as as some other people were, were kind of fighting for too, because like the, the guy's headlining Woodstock, he's, he's, he's rewriting the, the pages of rock music. He's, he's, he's making Crosby, Stills and Nash and Young look like fucking fools. CCR who, who essentially headlined, I quote, I'm in quotation marks who headlined Woodstock. He's making them look like fools. Yeah. Like Hendrix is Was closing it? out Woodstock for, for 10% of who showed up. It's crazy. It is. Didn't Gra- I think Graham Nash was on um, Axis, right? Like he did like backing per- or like he did percussion on a song or something. Did you read that? That that would make sense because he's he's he's, 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 he's listed on UK the liner notes of Axis. I think I think it was. He's a UK guy. Oh, that's true. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I, I he, just, is, he is on one one Hendrix record. I don't know. I, I I think I think Hendrix is so much bigger than his three studio albums. And I think that's why I've hated him for so long is because of his three studio albums. And if I base him, if I judge him alone on just his three studio albums, he's not even a top 10, 15 guitarist for me. No. <laughs> not I, I, I would tend to agree with you on that because it, his guitar playing is pretty underwhelming on the it's, it's on the studio. I, I even texted that to you earlier this week. I said, yeah. man, this listen through has been pretty underwhelming for me. It yeah. really was. But okay, so do we have it? Do we want to talk about any of the rest of these songs, or should we just give our final thoughts, give our rating, and then get the fuck out of here? What do you think? Uh, then there's only two more songs, three more songs we haven't talked about, and that's fine. I mean, well, we've got "Hey Joe," "Lover Confusion," and then oh, third stone, third third stone from the there's, sun, and then yeah. "Foxy Lady," which I don't even want to talk about "Foxy Lady." That song was we already yeah, talked about it actually. Yeah, I already highlighted in red. I literally yeah, don't care. I don't, I forgot it's it's an okay that song. Don't care about it. Yeah, I forgot to highlight that one. Sorry. My bad. No, I'm good. That, I think that's all the uh, the important notes that I got. Yeah. Okay. Uh, oh, I actually, I really quick. I'm not going to play it, but Third Son from the Sun. Can we talk about how the fucking jazzy that song is? Oh, yeah. And Fantastic that, bass line. Dude, that's my 3B. This is the and one then, that I heard a lot of like the doors in. I heard there's a lot of doors in this song. And the I, Doors had just released her album, you know, seven months prior, and there's a lot. I, I honestly, I heard a lot of Doors in this song. See, I mean, you're for more familiar with them than I am because I'm just not a Doors guy at all. But I mean, I'll take your word for that. I, but I, I, I don't. I certainly don't hear it. It's, um, it's, I mean, like as, as far as jazz goes, like that that drum beat, the subtle like jazz influence is in the cymbals, the way the mm-hmm. cymb- he hitting the cymbals, the way those those are riding out a little bit. That's where the jazz influence comes. I love it. It's fantastic. I I totally agree. I think it's awesome. And then there's a lot of surf surf stuff I hear on this. And then you read the lyrics, and then I guess like the last the last couple lines of the song is actually like an homage to Dick Dale, who yeah. he was a huge fan of. But at the time, Dick Dale was like he just beat colon cancer or something like that. He just I think he just started like or he, or to, maybe, yeah, he to maybe talk about started. colon cancer, and people thought Jimi Hendrix was shit talking surf music. But it was the complete opposite. Yeah, the complete yeah. opposite of it. 
Of course. So it, it was it was like a really cool homage to to Dick Dale and just like a nice shout out to him and that's that's awesome. And then even Dick Dale, you know, he covered this song, or maybe not this song, but I know he covered some Hendrix stuff in like the eighties and nineties. So like who could fucking hate Dick Dale? Like, come on. I know, right? right? Silly. And the guy went through so much shit. Like, we got to do Dick Dale on the pod. We've talked uh, about it for a long time, but we got to do it. It's so good. But okay, anyway, yeah, I just wanted to touch upon Third Third Stone from the Sun because that that is a fucking killer song too. Yeah, but fantastic. Okay, so with that, let's give our final thoughts, and then we'll give our our rating of this record. Uh, with our uh, from our four, from our world famous three point rating system, where three is a perfect album, two is a good album you're going to continue to listen to, one is a bad album but give it a shot, and zero is the worst thing you've ever heard. So, what do you got, Jeff? Go. Uh, this album specifically is fine. It's it's not great. It's not bad. It's 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 good. It's good to real good. There's a lot of fantastic songs on here, but. If you if you've only ever heard of Hendrix's studio albums, you've never heard his like if, if you're born under a fucking rock and you've never heard Woodstock even, <laughs> then this would be probably like really, really cool. This would be like mind blowing and, and, and mind bending. And I get it. Like when this came out, Hendrix is pushing the envelope of sound as as far as like the guitar is concerned and, mm-hmm. and, and rock music and psychedelic rock. So I understand what's happening. I just I, I think that it gets better. I think this is not what Hendrix is about. Hendrix, uh, and even judging by just like the, the, not only just the album cover itself in the UK version, where it's like the same picture, just a little bit different. The, the track listing, the, the, the song names, like there's a lot of little differences there that I think Hendrix just thinks it's all funny. Like he thinks it's a fucking joke because he just wants to play music and wants to be annoying because he was a kid, like 24 when this yeah, came he out. He was fucking young, man. He's a fucking kid. Straight so, out of the military, too. <laughs> yeah, straight <laughs> out of the military. He was already slacking off in the military. Yeah. He's, he's a yeah. fucking kid. And, and like, the way he even, this, dude, the way he even got to, like, England is just unreal. To just playing a show and met, like, the girlfriend of Keith Richards. And was like, oh, like, you're yeah. pretty cool. Who are you? Oh, my boyfriend's Keith fucking Richards. <laughs> Arguably one of the <laughs> like, biggest what? rock and roll acts of, in, like, in the world at that time. Come on. Yeah. Oh, God oh. damn. And then we didn't even talk about why he joined the military. It was because he got busted <laughs> yeah. with with drugs. Yeah. Yes. Or no, he got no, he got it busted. Was, it was boosting cars. Yeah, it was boosting. Yeah, that's what it was. He was driving around in stolen cars. He Dude. got busted. And they said either you could do like 150 S- days in jail or you can go to the army, and he chose the Stereotypical army. Stereotypical like, fucking like right, isn't it? Like straight out of a of, of a movie in the 60s. Yeah, you either yeah. fucking go to jail or you go to the military. <laughs> Seriously, like, oh, I, I guess I guess give me a gun. I'll go to the fucking military. Adds know. more to his lore. Good honestly. God! And you, you and you're right. Like 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 the Hendrix lore is is much bigger than than probably he ever yeah. was. Yeah. But I I will say um, I I've hated him for so fucking long, and I've just I've thought he was so overrated. And as far as studio work goes, I do think he's overrated. Yes. As far as like live goes. And this was the first week that I've ever heard the full concert of the Isle of Wight. And that was like a, a, a Woodstock part two, essentially that the whole festival was, was unreal. And that lineup was fucking unreal. Everyone that thought that that Woodstock wouldn't, wouldn't happen or wouldn't be big and passed was at the Isle of Wight. Everyone that was at Woodstock and, and was like, Holy fuck, this was great. was at the Isle of Wight. 
Mm-hmm. It's just it just it was planned out better. It, it happened better. But but Hendrix at at Isle of Wight is like arguably like the, one of the greatest live things I've ever heard in my life. It truly yeah, it's, is. It's remarkable. It was really good. And 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 it puts it puts Hendrix in like the top five for me. Even though I've fucking shit on him so many years of my life. But <laughs> again, studio version, nah, I've heard better. Mm-hmm. But yeah. my God. Or the the things that we've discussed, the you know, the, his guitar playing, his style, his amp, his uh, his effects and, and his just play style in general, I think puts Hendrix in like the top five. I don't think he's a great songwriter. I think he writes kind of weak songs and and his biggest songs are his weakest, the purple hazes, the the foxy ladies, <laughs> you know, the the whatever the fuck, what uh, voodoo child. I, would, I, I wouldn't I think say it's voodoo fine. child. Voodoo child is still really it's good fine. Song. There's he does it twice on the same album. Oh I my know. God. Well, no, but it's different. Ugh. No, it's not the same thing. Oh yeah, there's Come a on. there's a there's a slight return. Excuse me, excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> but the slight return is the one that's popular. But if you Oy. listen to Voodoo Chili. You know that's a very different song. It's like that. Plus, that song is like nine minutes long. It's a way different song than Slightly. I, I get it. I get it. I get it. I like. The I like Hendrix. I like Hendrix. I purged half of my Hendrix. Uh, I'm gonna keep the studios. I'm gonna buy at some point the uh, the full version of Isle of Wight and get rid of my my yeah, version I really of Isle like of Wight. I'm gonna put that on my one list. Um, otherwise, I don't know. This was a, this was a fun week and I've come across a lot of, of early pressings of, of, are you experienced, but nothing has been really clean for me to want to keep. So I, I have one in my garage right now. That's an early seventies pressing of, are you experienced, but it's not clean enough. So I'm not going to keep it. I'll keep my okay. Nordstrom's pressing. <laughs> 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 it just sounds better. I don't care. So uh. But yeah, so 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 given all of that, this album specifically, if I'm if I'm just gonna rate it based on this album alone, I'm gonna give this like a two point. Oh, I'll do two point four. I'll do two point two point four. Okay, all right. Yeah. And that's that. I, I want to give it a two point two five, but I'm gonna give it a two point four because I'm on a I'm on a Hendrix high right now. Yeah, yeah. I get it. I get it. I get it. Yeah, two point four. All right, my final thoughts on this one. Uh, like I said, th- I was I was honestly very underwhelmed listening to these records this week. Uh, I've always I've always dug Hendrix. I've never really had anything bad to say about him, but it was also something I always just kind of put on in the background or just kind of it was just secondary to whatever I was doing. I never really sit down to listen to Hendrix except for this week, and that's why I was underwhelmed until. I got to the live stuff, like we talked about. The live stuff fucking killed it. Completely different vibe, completely different style, and nothing was fussed over on those live recordings, especially the Isle of Wight, which I agree with you, is to have so far is the best thing I've heard from Jimi Hendrix, and I really want to get that record on vinyl, like the full thing, like we were talking about. So it's going to go on my want list on Discogs, absolutely. Uh, but back to this, this album, Are You Experienced?, this one, it lacks because, like we were talking about, the stereo, the the overuse of certain studio, you know, techniques. It was rough, and once again, dude, it, it would absolutely fall apart had it not been for the rhythm section of Noel and Mitch. I mean, they, yeah, they were they were yeah. so important to this fucking record, to all three records, all three records. But especially this one, because this would have completely fallen flat had it not been for them. They really spiced it up and, and were the glue of this band. And uh, 
Yeah, I'm just not going to keep repeating myself. So with Do that, it. I'm going to have to give this record a 2.5 out of 3. 2.5 out of 3. I, I still like this record a lot. I think it's really good. And I'm always going to go back to it. Always, always, always. But like we were saying, in the lore of Jimi Hendrix and just how people just are just so obsessed with this guy, this album is not not up to snuff. I think like it. he deserves the obsession, but I think people are obsessed for the wrong reasons. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like I, I, if people They're were more obsessed, obsessed for the right reasons, yeah, yeah, then I would, be, I would, be, I would be okay. Like, yeah, that's fine. I get it. That's cool. But you know, you go to fucking Hot Topic, you go to Spencer's, and you see all the Jimi Hendrix stuff, you know, psychedelic stuff. It's like, dude, so over this. You know, when you're when you're twelve or thirteen, yeah, it's cool because it's so different, but. I don't know. It's annoying. <laughs> really fucking just, annoying. Man. We're just like at that age now where these fucking idiots in their, their teens really piss us off. Oh, because fucking teenagers are stupid. We're like, we're, we're like those two old guys in the Muppets on the balcony. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, we really are. That That is Asinine Radio. We're the, what are their names? I forgot their names. I don't know, but they always say, oh, that performance wasn't half bad. Nope. No. It was all it was bad. All bad. <laughs> <laughs> that really is us to a T. It really That's is so good. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, it's totally us. But whatever. Teenagers, are stu- we were stupid teenagers. Look at all the bullshit we did. Nah, that we're not going to talk. Of, we're not going to go into detail. We're super but, dope. Uh, yeah. That's all I got. That's all I got for this one. Um, I don't know. You got anything else on on Hendrix? No, that's it. All right. Good, good, good. So we're done. Thank you all for listening. Keep listening. Tell all your friends. You know the drill. Social media. Give us five stars. And with that, that's it. That's all. Mitch Mitchell. Really never heard of this guy. It. Yeah, it's 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 it really is. He's he's really really good, and I I, I just like that he can go like he can genre hump hump hop hump. so <laughs> so fast. That was good. That was good. <laughs> drop my drop my set drop my Weezer seven just on the floor too on that one. <laughs> yeah, it's stupid and cheesy, especially those first two notes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I, I get it but it's not showcasing like Jimi hendrix mitch missile mitch missile 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 is he missile like but like a like a fucking russian missile coming out mitch missile <laughs> i'm just gonna call him mitch missile it's a lot easier than mitch missile uh, two two first mitch names missile, is just yeah. silly boy talk bob yeah bob mitch Bobberson Mitchell. referring to someone <laughs> stable to help them through tough times and shit yeah. i think like that's his waterfall Okay, all right. I I can uh, I I agree with you on that. I love him because he's my rock. God, dude, shut up. <laughs> it is kind of annoying. That's <laughs> <laughs> fucking dumb. It's we a, forget it's, too. Like honestly, we forget. Like like we put Jimmy 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 <laughs> Jimmy. <laughs> <laughs> Who the fuck's name ever has been Jimmy with an E? <laughs> Maybe we're just maybe we're just like at that age now where these fucking idiots in their their teens really piss us off. Oh, because fucking teenagers are stupid.
We're like we're like those two old guys in the Muppets on the balcony. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, we really are. That that is Asinine Radio. We're the what are their names? I forgot their names. I don't know, but they always say, "Oh, that performance wasn't half bad." Nope, no, it was all it was bad. All bad. 